Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of Your Bat is Dead, a Gotham Nights podcast from Nerds and Beyond. Um, as always, I am Jules. I am a content assistant and editor here at Nerds. And my name is Mel, and I am a writer at Nerds and Beyond. And we are talking about the third episode of the season, which is pretty action-packed. As usual, they really did not have five minutes to breathe in this episode. There was something going down, big reveals happening every two seconds, Blimps were blowing up, much to Mal's surprise and horror. Horror. <laughs> Gosh, yes. Mostly horror. <laughs> I love the episode, Dirigible Down! Dirigible so. Down! <laughs> <laughs> they heard us talking so much about them last episode, and they were like, nope, we gotta blow them up right away. <laughs> yeah. Must destroy my love. <laughs> but no, we but... had so much to talk about. Yes. So the title of the episode is Under Pressure, which mm-hmm. obviously immediately... Got me singing Queen songs, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but they, it did feel that way. It definitely felt that way. The multiple multiple meanings can be taken from that in this one. I love the fact that we started off with a little bit of Carrie Kelly sass mm-hmm. right at the beginning, yes. like out of the gate. I love her so much. She has my whole heart. I want no other Robins anymore. <laughs> just this one. Carrie Kelly writes, please. she's just so cute but at the same time like she does know what she's doing like she's a competent fighter um we see her take down people she should physically not be able to take down but she can because she knows herself and she knows her strengths very well um one thing that i loved about that fight scene in particular is that we can really see that she's still feeling her way around those back gadgets like she knows how to use some of them she's probably seen batman use them even if she hasn't necessarily been the one to do it but they don't just have her be an expert right away like some of the things she does work basically by accident um or because she hit the right button at like the right time and it just kind of worked out for her so i kind of like that they're introducing that element of like yes she's a good fighter yes she's been well trained by batman but there's still a lot that she still needs to learn yes like she is succeeding without feeling polished yet Mm -hmm. she's she's getting through probably not quite as well as she wants to make Turner think that she's getting through by herself. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I should apologize, by the way, to anybody listening. I'm not feeling the best, so I'm a little croaky. So if you get a little croaking <laughs> and throat clearing, my bad. <laughs> Allergy season that. has just taken everybody down <laughs> yeah, these last couple yeah. of weeks. But I could not put off my enthusiasm about this episode. So <laughs> <laughs> this had to happen today. So I love the fact that, just like you said, she, in this scene, ends up basically creating a taser to take down Mm -hmm. um the guy who we later find out who he is but just tall mutant gang guy (laughs) really big guy (laughs) really big i need to look up how tall the actor is because that is a big dude and Um, it doesn't help that she's very tiny i think navia is very tiny but behind the scenes picture i think where it looks like she comes up to like his nipple basically (laughs) (laughs) She's so but small. small people can be fierce, as we see. She just leaps yes. right on top of them. <laughs> and she uses her size to her advantage because mm-hmm. she is a lot lighter than him, which means she can be a lot faster than him in certain ways. And I, I like that. I like that they didn't attempt to just have it be, oh, in hand-to-hand combat, she's so well-trained, she can take him down. Yep. Like, they they planned this out so that it works on, on that front. But, uh, yes, I was very excited. I was excited um, at the, for the battering to start with. I loved her little bit of sass. I loved the fact mm-hmm. that she is using the, air quotes, traditional Batman weapons and not just, you know, hand-to-hand or giving her something futuristic or whatever. I love that we still have, like, little blades and everything else that we're used yes. to. Um, but even then, I love the fact that she had 
the intelligence and the good luck to be able to tase <laughs> this. I was about to say poor gang leader. He probably deserves it. But <laughs> he probably did. Honestly, I thought she killed him. I'll be fully honest. The first tweet that I wrote about it was like, "Wow, she really nailed him." But then I remembered we are in the CW, and we probably don't want to like outright murder somebody on like like in that way. But I thought uh, she really. I had don't him. know. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a few dead people floating around too. <laughs> It was just a very, it would have been yeah. a very gruesome death. It would have been a really, really rough way to go. True. But we are still, we're airing after 9 p.m. So <laughs> <laughs> even on the CW, we can get a little more graphic. Anything <laughs> goes. This is the Wild West on the CW at this point. <laughs> oh, yes. So after we see um, Carrie take down, I never know whether to call her Carrie or Robin, because in my head, when she's taking down criminals, she's Robin at that point. And then like in all her other scenes, she's Carrie. <laughs> So I feel I like do I use call her Carrie because I think of the boys when I say Robin for some reason. Right. Like it just sticks in my head that way. So I feel like I look at her and I say Carrie, even though I know she's Robin. Yes. Well, we can just call her Little Bird instead because that's <laughs> adorable. It's so cute. So. <laughs> yeah. And then we have two uh, squad cars pull up incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they were really on top of it for once in their lives. For once in their life. When someone else has done the job for them, they're really on top of it. <laughs> and uh, then we. Go to Turner reading these journals. I just, I really wish that I could just read that entire thing. (laughs) Like if this show ends up going for, you know, 15 seasons, which I'm totally just hoping for at this moment. (laughs) (laughs) I need some kind of merchandise that is just those journals, please, because I need to read them. (laughs) Boomer ellipses and all, no matter how (laughs) No matter how sad, depressing Bruce thoughts that he's just. Can you imagine reading? Like, I was thinking about this the whole time watching Turner do that. Can you imagine reading your father's journals like that? Like, I don't want to know that much about my dad. And poor Turner is sitting there having to like sift through his father's like deepest insecurities and fears about the future and like all these things that he just never thought that he would ever find out about his dad. And really, it's clear that it complicates that relationship for him. And it also complicates the anger that he was holding on to because he can kind of see that his father was this like conflicted human person who didn't know what he was doing. Difficult for him because he's learning in the Mm -hmm. hardest way possible through these journals after he's gone that his dad wasn't just batman but Mm -hmm. he was also human and because you don't see your dad that way when you're young and and they're alive and they're this kind of hero to you even in a very normal human way not necessarily a batman way um so he's on the one hand learning that his dad was far more heroic than he realized he was but on the other hand probably learning that he was far more flawed and human than he realized he was all through these journals that I really want to read. <laughs> <laughs> and that he could be there for Gotham, but he couldn't be there for his own kid, right? There's that like tension yes. there of like, how many nights did he leave Turner by himself or with like a nanny or something so that he could go out and save the world? Like there was a sacrifice that was being made on Turner's behalf that Turner just was never aware of. And yeah. that's a really tough thing to square with the image that he already had of this like kind of cold, distant, adopted father who clearly didn't love him enough to do all these things like a quote unquote normal dad would. Although really on so far on this show, I think on the scale of dads, he's like a solid like five out of ten, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, yes, compared to as some of we'll the others, talk he's about doing later. Pretty well, yeah. <laughs> So, and then he has on um, you know carry pouring salt in those wounds oh, yeah. just by her existence not necessarily <laughs> even deliberately but mm-hmm. she is she's with duella it's deliberate duella is oh, very much pouring salt in those wounds as we see in that scene <laughs> yes and i 
kind of love that though because the one thing I notice about Duella is that she doesn't often lie um no. not saying she won't because we have seen her you know do whatever she needs to to get to a certain situation but she seems much more interested in wielding the truth as a weapon mm-hmm. than lying to to get her way um and she yeah. does that several times in this episode very oh, yeah. simply and painfully god I love it because she knows dialogue. she cuts deep. Like, she can just instantly get to, like, the most insecure thing about each of these characters. And we literally see her do that this episode with every single one of them. Yes. She sizes them up in three seconds and she spits out the most hurtful combination of words that she could say. And then, like, skips away afterwards. Like, that's yeah. the thing that gets me about her line delivery and the way she's, she'll be like, oh, so I guess your dad just, like, never loved you and you're just always looking for his approval, huh? Anyway, I gotta go. <laughs> like, she just, <laughs> just yep. drops these truth Love bombs. Her everywhere and leaves (laughs) yeah and she's clearly highly intelligent and very good at reading people yeah and yes yeah she really like those are her most powerful weapons really we've seen that she's a very competent fighter and we see that a lot more in this episode but at the same time i don't think those are even her main weapons that that isn't her biggest strength her biggest strength is what she does with that mouth damn it (laughs) (laughs) and we can talk about this later too but i like that this episode really showed each individual person in the group what their strength is and what their weakness is like i feel like every single person we could see okay they're really good at this one thing but this is their achilles heel and they did a good job setting all of that up through duella kind of calling it out like being like oh hey like this is the thing that like is going to trip you up in the future or like this is the thing I've noticed about you that somebody could exploit. But then we also do see that all of them have their strengths. We see Carrie fighting well. We see Harper trying to figure out the bomb. We see Colin going undercover and being brave and doing all these things. Like we can see that there's potential in all of them, but there's also ruin in all of them depending on which way they choose to go. Yes. I love that we're getting this core setup of characters where they're not trying to make these perfect heroes Mm -hmm. because i don't feel like that's ever necessarily been the batman way even Mm -hmm. even traditionally batman himself the cape crusader was slightly more morally gray when you look at him through a certain lens because he is taking it upon himself to do all of these things um so not exactly lawful good there (laughs) um and they're definitely keeping that because these characters the, the, the bad ones are doing good things the supposedly good ones are doing terrible things and they're also remembering that these are at best young adults <laughs> yeah <laughs> you could kindly describe them that way instead of saying that they are children but <laughs> but they have so much to learn that they just don't have the world experience for yet even though some of them have lived very hard lives or mm-hmm. have had a lot of experiences that have enabled them to learn things that you or I wouldn't even conceive of most of the time. Yeah. They still have so far to go. And it's really only because at this point, they have a whole team. They have each other. They're filling in each other's gaps. Like individually, if they were by themselves, they would be in so yeah. much trouble right now. Um, especially Turner. I'm sorry. I'm chief <laughs> we of the Turner Hayes is useless. No, <laughs> he's not useless. Boy. The character is wonderful. Oh, yes. how, I, I think at least three times during this episode, mm-hmm. I just shrieked, do not touch that. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> this boy, he makes bad decision after bad decision. I mean, we've kind of seen it. I mean, he's coming from such a place of privilege that it's ridiculous. And I definitely want to talk later about Stephanie and Harper's conversation, because I do think yeah. that that struck at a really interesting 
point between Stephanie and Turner and even Brody, like as much as they have their parent issues, as much as they are messed up in the same way that these other kids are messed up, they have such a cushion of privilege that they don't even realize. And so like every episode, it's like Turner's learning new things about like the world, like don't touch the vat of chemicals, like don't do the stupid thing. Like they're just always like having to point him in the right direction with everything. (laughs) I'm not sure that if he hadn't been adopted by this motley crew, that he would have survived very long. He <laughs> needs them desperately badly. Like, yeah, because he's I, very smart, <laughs> but he does not have the street smarts. I yeah, think. or he doesn't. He doesn't realize that he has the street smarts, which I yeah. think is fascinating because there's a few points in the episode where, like, he'll mention things that like his dad taught him, like the whole um, looking for the one thing that doesn't belong, like in a yes, room, the sort of thumb game, game. All that stuff. Yeah. Like he mm-hmm. learns all these things. He can articulate now that he realizes now that his father was teaching him these things on purpose. But, like, it doesn't come up, like, he doesn't, like, believe in himself enough to just do it. Like, he always has to kind of, like, couch it behind something. And then even when Carrie's like, yeah, your dad was teaching you stuff. Like, he wanted you to know these things. Turner's like, oh, (laughs) that's what that was. I can just do that. (laughs) Yeah. And he's starting to realize that now, which is good to see. Like, I really just want to see his confidence grow throughout the season i'm assuming that you know character arcs i'm assuming he's gonna take some knocks at some point as we're <laughs> going along um we've, we've got some great riders here so i can't imagine them giving him an easy ride mm-hmm. <laughs> but i am really interested to kind of see where he ends up kind of it yeah. depends on how far the season goes um wh- where we get to in the end but i want to see where his character himself ends up because we have a yeah. lot of shots for example um there's one in this where they're talking about I, we will discuss it in depth as we go further through, but there's a comment about that Gotham could use a Batman at this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the camera immediately pans to his face. <laughs> and you have the duality of, okay, that's a sad moment because they're saying that Gotham could use a Batman and Batman is dead, his dad is dead, very sad. But it's also showing us him. He is there. He has the ability, if he wants to, to take on that mental, literal cape <laughs> himself. Um, and I, I really want to see if he steps up to that or if he decides to go completely his own route or yep. if th- there are so many options. Uh, there are I'm so excited. many options and we need to talk about it because I have to talk about the Carrie Turner tension of it all. And I think there was a lot of it in this episode and I'm very interested to see how he reacts to her kind of trying to step up as well because she doesn't see herself as a potential Batman replacement, I don't think. I think she sees herself as a Robin. But she has more practical experience. He keeps offering to be her backup, be her sidekick. I don't know. Could we be seeing a Batwoman taking Maybe. form? She, yeah, she only, I think, articulates. Um, she talked about being Bruce's backup. She talked about, mm-hmm. you know, being like a sidekick. She's never framed herself in yep. that way of I'm going to be Batman now, but she's clearly <laughs> through her actions, she is stepping up to do that and not at this uh, various points. We can discuss that when we get to the scene, but not mm-hmm. necessarily wanting Turner to to help because she thinks that's what Bruce wanted. I yeah. don't think it's anything personal against Turner or even no. that she doesn't think he has the ability to because she seems to articulate herself that actually she thinks he does have all this mm-hmm. this training, even if he didn't know what it was at the time. But just because she thought that that was what Bruce wanted, which I think probably keys back into her taking those journal entry Mm -hmm. pages because she is, in her mind, protecting 
Bruce's secrets and what he didn't want Turner to find out, whatever that might be. Whatever that is. (laughs) (laughs) So I think she really thinks that she is just honoring Bruce's legacy at this point. Uh, She might be causing more problems than she's solving, possibly. (laughs) Just a little bit, just destabilizing a very uh, powerful gang, just out of nowhere, with with no full plan for how she wants to handle that. Yes. So Vernon Wagner, back to the mutant gang. Are you going to tell us more about the mutant gang, Mal? I mean, I can if you want me to. I think you should. I think you should tell us more about them. Let me let me pull up a picture of Duella and her amazing outfits in this episode while you slave away over <laughs> looking up the facts. Look, the outfits are very cool. <laughs> and I love them. Um, but, I mean, the mutant gang, are they, they do have, like, a decent history in DC. So it's not just that we're looking at something that, w- that was made up for this show here. Um, and we've seen them quite recently in a show as well, because they appeared in Gotham, and I think it was maybe in the third season. I'm not sure. Gotham obviously is quite a recent addition to the DC canon of shows. Before that, we have seen them in multiple comic books, and we have seen them in The Dark Knight Returns, which is one of their most kind of more, where they were featured more, I'll put it that way. Um, I really liked that one because the uh, mutant gang in that one came to a head in Gotham when the Batman in The Dark Knight Returns had retired. So they were the ones causing all the trouble trouble after he had retired. Um, which is interesting because kind of as a mirror to this, they were causing problems as soon as Batman is gone for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and in The Dark Knight, the mutant gang causing so much trouble is what causes uh, that version of Batman to come out of retirement. Um, obviously, we can't have anything like that happen here because uh, <laughs> he ain't retired. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they're going to pull a huge twist off at the end of the scene. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but um, it is interesting that the mutant gang causing so much trouble in Gotham is what's making Robin and our Bat Brat step up into this kind of Batman position. Um, so that there's a there's a slight there's a slight kind of connection there, even yeah. though obviously uh, the Dark Knight Returns is a, is a completely separate universe, really, um, to this one. But it is interesting because that's one of the most well known um, mutant gang kind of appearances in all of it. Um, they have been in, I want to say at least three different things that I know of. I think we're going to do something quite different with them in Mm -hmm. this one i don't know obviously how much they're going to play a part going forward throughout i i kind of have a tendency to not trust the first kind of villains that we're given (laughs) in something i'm like obviously we have the owls we have them at the moment i think the mutant gang are going to be more of an annoyance maybe than ultimately (laughs) a big issue going forward um, we'll see how that plays out. I would love to be surprised. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, they're knows? a cool concept. Like, as somebody who doesn't have as much context for them outside of the show, I liked the idea of bringing in this other group because I think that Gotham at this point is just completely lawless. Like, you just see all these different people taking advantage of that power vacuum that Bruce has left behind. And I think it's good to show that, like, there's a lot of separate problems going on here. Yeah. Like, there, there are like, a there's, lot of issues. There's no way that little Carrie Kelly, as much as she wants to be able to kind of take down these things, like even if Batman was there, it would be difficult to really fully root out all that corruption in Gotham. And I like that they kind of gave her that line where she was like, there's nothing you can do. Like there's like a hopelessness to that where it's like you take down one person and like seven other gangs jump up in their place. Like 
And even Harvey kind of expresses a little bit of that, even though he's up there, you know, giving his speech about hope and I am the change and I will be a leader and blah, blah, blah. Like you can tell that he also kind of feels a little bit hopeless about the situation privately, even if he's not going to say that publicly. The Gotham version of the mutants actually um, hold kind of like fight clubs around the city, um, which I don't think is something that we're necessarily seeing here. It definitely seems much more of a controlled chaos like they just they just want to do their crime and they're happy that batman's gone and he's out the way and everything else but it's really interesting to me how many different versions of things you get in dc and i like the mm-hmm. fact that each one can distinguish itself there was even a version of the mutants that appeared in the lego batman movie so uh <laughs> i like that i'm i'm looking for all of the different lego connections that i can find um fully blame <laughs> that on chad Fibash and yes. his lego uh minifigs that he shares every time an episode airs absolutely love that they're so, incredible. If you're not on Twitter, look for them on Twitter. Like they're they're so detailed and cool. Yes, we love them. Just the, the interaction is fantastic. So every time I see something that has appeared in the Lego Batman movie, I'm just like, <laughs> oh look, it's a Lego collection. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there was there was a, a brief uh, moment there, and I believe it's been a long time since I've seen the Lego Batman movie. Putting it out there, <laughs> I think it's um, the person known as just mutant leader. I don't think he's called Vernon Wagner anywhere else specifically. Um, I think his his kind of supervillain name, so to speak, is just mutant leader. Um, but I believe that in the uh, Lego Batman movie, he's actually one of the villains that's assembled by the Joker to attack Gotham City. Um, whereas, obviously, we don't know what's going on with the Joker in this universe. We have no idea. We're assuming that that he, we're not going to see him at any point, but you never know. <laughs> I have suspicions about our I, friend the Joker, and I would be very yes. excited to hear your thoughts when we get more to Duella's portion of things. Because yeah, I I have some thoughts about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I have, have some, some thoughts. Have some it's hopes. one of those things where there's definitely not been you know any marketing that's like, hey, Joker mm-hmm. coming, but but we will get but. there. <laughs> I love the fact that his presence is felt anyway. Let's put it that way. Um, So yeah, very interesting. Um, There's lots to kind of link back to with the mutant gang because there are lots of different versions of them. Um, But so far, this version seems to be quite distinct from the other versions in what they're doing. But I do kind of love a little bit of the mirroring that's going on with that Dark Knight stuff, whether intentional or not, in that they came to power and forced Batman out of retirement or forced, in this case, somebody to step up and take his place. Yeah, this new generation to come in and see what they've got against this old foe which yeah they, they have a decent amount um <laughs> it's there's some fighting on the way but they get there somehow i love in the scene where um carrie is is telling them that you know she took down vernon wagner she's she's really proud of herself and it's adorable <laughs> and i love how excited and impressed cullen looks for her <laughs> i so love cute. that i feel like in certain ways so far cullen is one of the main characters that is kind of gelling this group together. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a little nicer to some of them <laughs> the people than than some people are. He seems to have yes. less prejudices against people because of the circumstances. Um, and I I just love that she was so proud of killing him. His little face. He was just <laughs> he looked so impressed. He was just like, wow, okay, that's that's pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> and what I loved about that scene the most is that Duella's like medium okay with it. She's like, yeah, cool, whatever. It doesn't really affect her life any one way or another. But when they she sees the chaos that it unleashes across yes. the city and she sees things blowing up and all that stuff, 
that's when she's happy for her. Yes. That's when she's like, you did it, kid. Like you caused maximum chaos and angst with this one choice. Like, and I know, I know that from Carrie's perspective, she's not happy that Duella's happy with what's happening. But I would be thrilled if Duella told me that I did a good job and right. meant it too. <laughs> like, not a trace of sarcasm in there. She truly was thrilled for Carrie doing this yeah. job. Her little bird was taking flight. Yeah, <laughs> she was like, yeah. <laughs> she was like a I proud loved it. mom. And I, in any in any DC property, at least in my mind, this might be that this might be one of those things that you know the DC people will not like me for saying. I don't know, but I feel like this is an opinion that some people will share. I feel like Gotham is a character by itself. Gotham mm-hmm. has a personality. Gotham has it's it's distinct by itself. Gotham is a character, not just a city that they live in. Um, and I think Duella has issues with Gotham, with the way that Gotham has treated her, with the way that Gotham raised her, um, with the things that just being in the city has put her through. Like the first episode, she was hellbent. Oh, I just said that, didn't I? She was <laughs> Mal accidentally referencing ship names. Um, she was hellbent on getting out of Gotham. Um, now obviously she's a little trapped. They they want to clear their name. Who knows what she's going to do if they succeed that? Will she, would she stay in Gotham? Would she leave? Who knows? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Probably depends on how her relationship with Gotham evolves. <laughs> but at the moment, she is in the phase where she wants to hurt Gotham, I think, because yeah. she has been hurt by Gotham. And as much yeah. as she puts on this very, I won't say happy-go-lucky because she's a little scary, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, she does put it out there that she deals with things, you know, quite cheerfully. Nothing really phases her. She's good. Yep. But then you see that slip in those little moments, like with the owls and mm-hmm. things like that. You you see the things, and I think this, you know, Gotham has hurt her. So it's I just I want to see where they take that. I love Gotham yeah. as a character. So that is my Gotham is a character thesis for today. <laughs> but it's <laughs> that one was true, unplanned. Though. It wasn't even in my notes. Dang. <laughs> The best tangents are the ones that aren't in the notes. I mean, because she, like, it makes almost no sense that she would stay. Like, you would think that she would just leave. Even in the last episode, we saw that she made a lot of great points about why it would make more sense for them all to just get out of there. And I'm wondering what's ultimately going to keep her there, aside from running from the law, aside from anything else. Because she's starting to develop relationships with these other people. And maybe they're not super deep yet. But you can see that she does kind of care in her way about Carrie, about Cullen. Like, she, I know she needs something from Cullen. And that's kind of why she stands up for him. But she also, like, very heartfelt speech talking about how yeah. capable he is. And I she, think that she's starting to care. Yeah. And she made a point of saying in the last episode, um, one of her reasons for when she, you know, almost turned around and, and left them there. Um, was that no one ever went back for her. Like, nobody ever saved her. Um, And then Cullen did. He literally went into that car and pulled her out Mm -hmm. and physically went back for her. The one thing that she said that nobody had ever done. Um, And even though she kind of plays that off a little bit, like, oh, you're never going to guilt me into doing anything, all that kind of stuff, something has changed, I think. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see that developed further. I don't think it's going to be like a straight line trajectory by any means. (laughs) But I I (laughs) I think we're going to have some zigzags. I think it's going to move around in a lot of interesting places. (laughs) And it's going to be real fun to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Turner is definitely not quite on the dweller train yet, though. He's he's getting there. He's getting there. Um, But when she reaches to touch the journal and he's literally just like, no, (laughs) no touchy, no touchy journal. 
<laughs> it's, it's I like love he doesn't dynamic. want it tainted. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> because those journals are his dad now. They represent yep. his dad to him. And uh, yeah, she was not allowed to touch. <laughs> Definitely. That's a dynamic that I cannot wait to see develop more and more and more as the season goes on. I mean, we we're talking about this a little bit offline too, but like, I feel like Olivia Rose Keegan is so good at having like all kinds of chemistry with every single person on this show from like platonic chemistry to like question mark romantic chemistry like every single time she's in a scene with one of the other actors I'm like oh I want to know more about that relationship like I want to know more about where that's going to go like I want to know more about these two so that every single note on my outline about her is like oh Dwellyn Cullen I want to know more about that like I want to like like, take me in that direction you know yeah and I think her as a character she is very good at reading people she's very good Mm -hmm. at tailoring her actions to find someone's Achilles heel to work out how best to play them, um, which is clearly a survival tactic for her and has yes. been for a long time. But I think it's really interesting because there's so much manipulation there. It's very hard to pick her genuine feelings out of yeah. what she really wants and what is just manipulation. Mm-hmm. So I I love it. I love it. I love not knowing. Did we finally get through the first scene? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> We had some things to say. It's fine. <laughs> but we didn't yet mention Carrie's very obviously sus reaction when he brings, when Turner brings up the missing <laughs> journal pages. Like she's not subtle at all with yep. the just like, oh, the, the AP If bio. only we knew who had the stolen pages. Oh, if I gotta only. go. I gotta be up for school tomorrow. <laughs> I yep. gotta get got an exam to cram for bye like I, I, I really can't wait to see that particular storyline like that thread oh, yeah. begin to unravel um i think it's probably going to be quite a, a major one for the season obviously so i'm not expecting that to be like resolved next episode or anything mm-hmm. but i am curious i really want to know um my next scene i would just like to say the only note that i made <laughs> is maya hill is full of shit <laughs> <laughs> yes, our beloved mayor is um not not the best human as we see throughout this episode. Um and I think in some ways kind of deserved what was coming to him, you know? That those owls yes. they they don't play and you don't mess with them. But mayor Hill, I'm I'm going to talk about him more in depth in one of the later scenes, one of the last yes. scenes that we talked about him. Um there have been a lot of different mayors of Gotham in DC history. Mayor Hamilton Hill is one that has appeared in other uh, media. He's not specific to the show. He was in Batman the Animated Series, uh, The New Adventures, various things on TV. He's been in, there have been references references to him in the films and video games and things too. Um, This version is again distinct to Gotham Mm -hmm. Knights. I love that they're doing that, that they're taking things, they're linking them back, they're taking the core of a character and and definitely kind of twisting things there are versions of hamilton hill who are slightly better people um there's one who kind of even less corrupt put it that way not a great person but less corrupt um and kind of grow to respect batman a little bit like in the animated series when bruce was is around um he does kind of grow to have like a begrudging respect for batman um this version (laughs) Definitely doesn't seem like he would have been that respectful of uh, Batman as he seems to be heavily involved with the owls who were trying to kill him. So (laughs) this particular scene when he is taking credit for all of Carrie's hard work, um, he's pretty easy to hate in that one. Yeah, yeah. 
He really is. He he, he uh, exudes slime ball energy is the best way I can describe yes. it. Like just every time he and the actor did a wonderful job, honestly, because every time you see him on screen, you're just like, oh, I hate that guy. And you kind yeah, of don't just have like expression. A, <laughs> yeah, just, just everything expression. about him. Yeah. And like, especially we'll talk later, I'm sure, about his scenes with Harvey and kind of their dynamic. But like, even when Harvey is doing some stuff that's a little sus where you're like, hmm. What's going on with you, Harvey? Like, in comparison, you're like, oh, I hope this guy takes over Gotham. I hope Harvey wins the mayor's office because yes. this guy is the worst. <laughs> so Harvey is suspicious and clearly has some ulterior motives going on, but he mm-hmm. manages to be somewhat endearing. He's got the charisma. He's got yes. a lot going on that that makes him yeah, somebody you should hate but kind of love. Um, whereas the Mayor Hill is just like full, <laughs> full slime ball. Like, no. <laughs> uh, obviously, we learned last episode that he indirectly had his opponent disposed of uh, by the owls. And that's one of the, <laughs> we assume, one of the many things that he's in debt to them for, um, yep. which obviously makes me not like him that much in the first place. In this particular scene, when we see him talking to Harvey, though, we do learn that it's because of him that Brody got off on mm-hmm. <laughs> on whatever charge they were we've only had three. Like... Hang on. <laughs> yeah. Yes, on whatever silly charge they managed to come up with for a kid who very clearly did not commit this crime. <laughs> yes, kid who is lying to protect his girlfriend, but we can't really prove that. But we want to pin something is, on him. Is but... she his girlfriend? Have they well, defined I, that relationship? Yeah, we I don't be think they it have. For them. I yeah. think I think Brody wants it to be in girlfriend territory. I don't know if Stephanie wants it to be there. Yeah. Stephanie was clearly happy to get some benefits in the first mm-hmm. episode, but I don't think there was necessarily any indication that she is. <laughs> but she did meet the parents this episode. She did. She did meet the parents and she also convinced, well, she didn't even do it. He convinced himself to lie to the police on her behalf. So I feel like they're, they're they should be in the boyfriend girlfriend stage, but you know how these kids are these days. Nobody <laughs> these wants to put a days. label <laughs> on anything until, you know, six months in. So clearly they haven't had that conversation yet <laughs> while they've been busy. <laughs> yeah, that they've had other things going on at this mm. point. Um, but at least I just like that Harvey Brody is so not in prison, mad. so that will help. Uh, yes, at least he's not in prison for a crime he quite literally had no ability to commit. I no. just don't understand why Harvey is like mad that he let him go. It's like you gotta know that he didn't do this, right? Like you've gotta know that he. Yeah, I feel like Harvey's really grasping at straws there because yeah. clearly he did not do it. Now we do see it. We get a little reminder in this episode that actually Brody does have skills. He's got some rights here. He does. Like he was holding his own against um during that the, the initial fencing scene. <laughs> he was holding his own against Turner. He has skills. Yes. Um, hacking skills? Not seeing not, that. <laughs> not, no, no, no. He's kind of a good barometer for like a quote unquote normal kids so far like within the group because you every other one kind of has like a specific talent that they've been like shown to be good at like even stephanie we know she's a hacker like they all kind of have their thing but he is just kind of along for the ride that he didn't ask to be on at all like he did not want to be involved stephanie kind of made him an accomplice yeah um so i like that they keep showing him sort of having like normal reactions to stuff that's going on yeah he really is the barometer of 
have you realized this is insane? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's he's I a good like that. audience surrogate, and and I think we're gonna see more of his walls come down as the show yeah. goes on. Like even in this episode, we see that start to happen. Burning um, is really interesting to me yeah. because I think as far as the cinematography goes, as far as his dialogue goes, in terms of his demeanor and the way he delivers his lines, he, on the one hand, he's very much set up as somebody that we are not meant to like, and I think mm-hmm. that is because. We started off the season on Turner's side, right? We started yeah. off with him. He was our first character that we locked into. And Turner is very clearly jealous of Brody in some way for what? whatever relationship. <laughs> Turner, jealousy, theme in this episode? I don't know. <laughs> but he's so I think that because we were kind of viewing Brody initially from Turner's side, we're getting a lot of that. We're getting him as being, oh, he's you know, not very likable, he's spoiled, he's rich, he's all these things that can be negative when framed a certain way. But when you look at Brody's actions after the first episode, he clearly made some mistakes in the first episode. He assumed some things about Turner. He, you know, generally made some mistakes in that first episode. But since then, his actions are telling a very different story. He stepped up to take the blame for Stephanie when he did not have to. At all. At all. There was nothing calling him to do that. Um, in this episode, later on, we notice him dive in front of his mom to mm-hmm. protect her. Like We're seeing him, his actions do things that so far, even though we've kind of had the setup for this character that maybe isn't the most likable, his actions are starting to say something different. And I'm interested to see how the fandom evolves in that because I've seen a lot yep. of people being like, oh, the actor's great, but I, I really hate Brody. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, but his actions this episode aren't the actions of somebody that you would yeah. hate. Like he's doing good things, so I'm interested to see how the fandom evolves and on that character. And you can tell that he has daddy issues for days. Which, oh, as yes. <laughs> we got a couple really interesting like moments in this episode. Like, obviously, he just has a terrible relationship with his dad, and like that's par for the Gotham Knights course at this point. Yeah. But he sort of talks about how you know his parents are sort of punishing him. I think the way he's in other ways. For what yes. happened. And one of them, like one of them we presume is him having to go to this stupid ball that he doesn't really want to go to and go through kind of all the social rigmarole of this. Yes. But then I'm wondering Which, what else does he mean by that though? Because it seems like going to one party is not going to like erase like the, oh, almost got sent yes. to federal prison for hacking into <laughs> several I also things. think that that tells us a lot about what his dad considers to be important and how mm-hmm. he considers appearances to be far more important than anything mm-hmm. substantial um and that probably indicates a lot of how brody has been raised and probably explains a lot of his actions in the first episode um but he's now learning learning different as he's seeing the real world and these crazy people and these things and we're also getting to know him too which i think Mm -hmm. is important because like you said in the first episode we're really seeing everything pretty much through turner's view and what he's thinking about all these other characters but as time has gone on we've gotten to see all of them a little bit differently and this episode we really see him more from stephanie's point of view we can kind of see the reason that she's friends with him or whatever they are um you can kind of tell that she has a sympathy for him that maybe maybe turner's not quite ready to have yet (laughs) um but you can tell kind of where her thought process is of like okay like this kid's not like full of malice, you know, like he's not, yeah. he might, he's kind of clueless. Has he said some dumb things? Yes. Is he a very privileged rich boy? Yes. But he's not like evil, you know? Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe he is, but like, he's, I, I he's don't got some privilege to him. unlearn, which again is a theme with many of these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I won't even use the term privilege. I will say some assumptions to unlearn because I think yeah. we need to include Harper in this as well. Um, in that, you know, she is equally making assumptions about people um, mm-hmm. and their actions. A lot of them are, and they're gonna they're gonna have to unlearn some of that if they're gonna team up and trust each other a bit more. Which we're starting to get. So we're starting to get, especially um, as we move into that scene between Carrie and Stephanie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, it in the, is she sleeping in the library? I believe she is, according to my notes. She was snoozing. Let's <laughs> <laughs> take a little, a little nap. <laughs> yeah, but she's approached by Stephanie, which clearly indicates that Turner has been <laughs> gossiping about all his new friends <laughs> to Stephanie. Like, I would love to see those text messages. Um, oh God. I hope they're not texting. I hope they're I not mean, texting each other right now. I don't put it past them because neither of them know how to be criminals, but I really hope yes. that they're not having Well, they're definitely texting about bombs and being hidden inside police stations <laughs> later on, so... <laughs> They're all At this point, like... I'm expecting a group chat, a really chaotic group chat where, where it's like Harper's was... the one who like barely says anything other than like, <laughs> yes, instructions, oh my God. and is the one who's trying to like give everybody like pep talks and say what they did, and then like Dweller pops in with like a random meme out of nowhere and then just departs. <laughs> like they all have their roles to play in this theoretical Definitely. group chat. Absolutely. <laughs> and I love that in that moment too that like it's not even just that like. Um, Carrie's confused as to how Stephanie knows her and like there's like kind of that moment it's also like Stephanie's very popular clearly like yes. she's one of the, like the head people at school and then she's talking to this like lowly Carrie Kelly yeah, out of nowhere. The girl from Trig. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the girl from Trig and I feel kind of bad for her in that moment because even Brody's like who the hell are you <laughs> like yeah. before he starts talking to her and I was like oh that's like a bit of a bit of a mean girls moment there although again Stephanie like way to be obvious you're talking to this random girl you've never talked to before ever in front of like half the school in this library like it wasn't a quiet out of the way corner like it was in the middle of everyone yep i think that was a really good like subtle scene to remind us as well that like these are school kids yep with school kid drama problems Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. as well as saving the world at night problems (laughs) (laughs) they got a lot of problems (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel like we should have a whole episode dedicated to, like, is Carrie going to pass, like, AP Spanish? Because, like, clearly, oh, she's, yeah, like, this, like, all these different AP classes that she's taking. Like, girl, you need to, <laughs> you need to chill a little. So we, when we go back to the Belfry and we're looking at Turner again, and he is being distinctly unimpressed and slightly jealous seeming again of all these different interactions between people, we get this amazing comment at that point. Um, Because Turner is being jealous because he has just learned that um, Stephanie is going to go to this gala with (laughs) Brody. Mm -hmm. Which turns out, good, great that she went. (laughs) Yeah, probably good that that happened. (laughs) Um, We get this amazing uh, comment from Duella where she refers to it as the Brodeo. <laughs> it's amazing. So Whoever wrote that line, Chef's Kiss. Perfect. It was perfect. But again, Turner's jealousy is very evident in that scene. Mm-hmm. It was ev- evident in the previous scene and it's been evident in this scene. So it's it's definitely a, a theme for him in this particular episode. Um, he's clearly jealous of Brody. Mm-hmm. We're not quite sure why, because I don't think, or at least to me, other than a little bit in the very first episode, which seems to just be jealousy motivated he doesn't seem to have expressed any interest in stephanie himself (laughs) yeah because he snoozed and he lost that's my theory on what happened there because yes they're friends yes they have that best friendship energy i think he friend zoned her or she friend zoned him 
And now they're stuck in this weird moment where it's like, oh, like, I guess we're just friends to each other. But like, there's, there's a little something there. And I think Stephanie knows oh, that. No, I'm getting, I'm getting Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Willow Xander vibes. <laughs> um, okay. Interesting. Interesting. We will I, see. <laughs> I see romantic jealousy everywhere. I'm like, love triangle? Okay. That works for me. I don't know. I just the Jules, way everybody she, here for the vibes yeah, every time. <laughs> here for the vibes every time. But I just look at the way that she kind of plays him in a way because, like, it's not a manipulative thing, or maybe it kind of is. But like, I can tell that, like, when Stephanie is looking at Turner and he's like, "Man, you're gonna go get cheese plates and stuff at the party, and I have to get stuck up here solving crimes," and she's like, "Dude, it's like literally not that serious." Like, you can tell that she's kind of been managing this from him for a little while and we even saw that in the first episode that like you know she's just fooling around having a nice time with brody and turner's being he all broody over here and she's got to be like hey listen i can do what i want like she has to keep reminding him that she's somebody who has agency and that she's somebody who can make whatever choices she wants to make and And i don't know brody has exhibited recent behavior that would make her want to spend time with him and thank him for the things he's done for her. He just did you guys a huge solid, Turner. Like, he's really kind of helping you out more than he really needs to. So I get that there's, like, a jealousy between Turner and Brody that doesn't involve Stephanie. Like, there's just a competitiveness there that I don't, like, whether there's a girl involved or not, I think that they just have that, like, natural instinct. Yeah, and and I think there is an element of um, Brody being jealous of Turner Possibly mm-hmm. because up until all this happened, which again might might play into his changing behaviors and attitude, I am um, probably beforehand, given his relationship with his father, he was probably <laughs> quite jealous of this orphan that got taken in by Bruce Wayne, this amazing rich lawyer guy who, yeah. you know, was a hero of the people, even just in his human persona. Um, and he was probably quite jealous of that. He probably imagined Turner's life to be something quite different to what it actually was. Yeah. Um, so I think there's there's a distinct jealousy there. And his dad is even pitting him against Turner actively because there's like a quick throwaway yes. line where they're going up the stairs into the gala and they're talking about fencing. And he's like, oh, well, it's probably like good that you're now that your fencing partner is like literally on the run. Like maybe you might actually like win. Like you might actually do well. Like he, this is like this quick moment. And you're like, ooh. Like, that's probably something that's been thrown in his face a lot. This whole Turner-Brody thing has been a yeah, rivalry. Yeah, and he's clearly on. been pushed to be the best because he's mm-hmm. taking after his father in that. There is a, a mention that his dad was, like, a four-year champion, like, mm-hmm. fencer and everything else. So this, is there a, a case where he just wants his son to be like him and he's been pushed into that, whether he wanted to himself or not? Don't know. I have think we ever so. seen Brody? Yeah, have we ever seen Brody himself give out any enthusiasm for fencing i mean he was doing it that doesn't mean that he wanted to by the sounds of it we don't know we'll see we'll see (laughs) but i do like that dynamic an awful lot and i'm very interested to see where it goes with him and stephanie as well whether whether that develops into an actual relationship or if it remains the situationship that it definitely is As she said, should be the least of Turner's concerns that she is splitting a cheese platter with Brody. Exactly. Don't worry, Stephanie, I'll split a cheese platter with you anytime. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) One of my favorite scenes coming up next. Simply because of one line that was just so beautiful. 
So we're going through these, we're going through these journals. We're talking about Alan Wayne. So the great, great grandfather, how he supposedly drowned in a sewer, which first of all, that's a bizarre death to start with. It's <laughs> such a weird death to fake. It's so obviously a murder. Like, <laughs> and what was the excuse that they gave that he had um, dementia and that like, yeah, he just he somehow dementia. like, he just ended up in a sewer. He ended up in a sewer. And then that chilling, awesome line that I loved, the owls are in my house. Oh, God, it was so scary. Yes. I mean, okay, yes, if you heard a guy in a sewer being like, the owls are in my house, you'd be like, all right, let's put him somewhere. (laughs) Like, this guy needs help. (laughs) So I can understand maybe why 100 years ago they might have just dismissed that. Um, Yes. But with the context we have, that was a very chilling choice of line. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> the, the, the guy was murdered. <laughs> that was a definite. That was a check mark in that box for sure. And I think it's so funny that they're like, yeah, we need those case files like ASAP. Like we need all this yeah. information because clearly what I want to know is if he was saying the owls are in my house. Was he in the sewer because he was using the sewers to try and escape from his own home? Probably to get away from the owls. Um, and there was probably a Talon waiting for him in the sewers or something. Something along those lines, you have to assume. Interesting. I think we're probably going to find out more about this guy as we now have some tools to do so. I'm curious. I'm curious about all of these dead Waynes, to be honest. (laughs) All the dead Waynes. Well, also, again, what was Bruce's connection to this whole thing? Like, how much did he discover before he was killed? What was motivating him to look into them in the first place? Like, there's still a lot of unanswered questions there that I think will be very interesting to get to know more as the season goes down. And as... um, Turner is talking about this and saying that he wants to find out more. That's going to be his his next avenue that he wants to go down is to find out more about this murder. I love that immediately we kind of almost get Cullen like going to a happy place because he's just <laughs> like, I know what we can do about this. I can help. I can do this thing. And it's yes. like he's been given a purpose. However temporary, mm-hmm. however like small it may be, it's something that plays into his skill set that he knows how to do. And Cullen exactly. has a purpose and just his enthusiasm at that moment. <laughs> He was so happy. <laughs> it was so sweet. Yeah, like yes, I get to commit a crime all by Be myself. Gay do crime, Colin. Be do gay it. do crime. I need someone. I have yet to see a be gay do crime t-shirt with like Cullen's face on it, but yes. I would really appreciate somebody, it if please. somebody could get on that. Um, <laughs> because this I've seen so much amazing fan art and I have yet to see that. I loved that they kind of had him very specifically in this episode do a mission on his own and do it successfully even with hiccups and complications and everything kind of along the way because i think it's important for his confidence and it's also important yes. for us to see as viewers like yes he can do this like without his sister yes. and without duella we had duella lampshading that as well and just straight up being like he is a badass <laughs> yes yes it was such a good quote like oh i'm actually like like hearing her deliver that speech was great because even though we know that she was using it kind of as a manipulation tactic like as everything with duella is it was that kernel of truth it was like hey you need to let him be his own person he can take care of himself he's kind of a badass and i also love that we saw that little bit of fondness that she does have for him like you said earlier for going back and helping her like she clearly puts him on a higher pedestal because of that and she sees him as the the badass that he is um whereas his sister can't quite get there yet like she's so close but she's just been protecting him for so long that she can't get herself out of that role long enough to see the person that he's become yeah, like uh, protecting Cullen has been 
a major personality trait for her, almost mm-hmm. as a form of defense. People don't need to get to know her because she is all about Colin. She is hiding behind that trait of herself, I feel like. And I really want to get to know her more. We're definitely starting to see that. We're starting to see bits of her coming out. But it really seems to just kind of like a defense, like wall building tactic on her front. Like, this is who I am. I am all about protecting my brother. You don't need to know anything else. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think there's a lot, there's a lot going on with Harper, I think. And I cannot wait to see more of it. <laughs> yes. I love the mention of uh Cullen's art school expertise. Um, I think we I think it was during his interrogation um at the police station that we first learned like so some some little history of these people. Um, but I, I do love the fact that he got to use his art school expertise. Um, <laughs> he was so happy to put that disguise on too. We I mean we have to talk about him in general, just his undercover situation. But I he was delighted to be playing this role. And I think not just Cullen the character, but I think also Tyler the actor was very <laughs> <Yes>. happy <laughs> to be doing these scenes. Um there were so many amazing, great behind the scenes shots from both Tyler's Twitter and also some of the creators were tweeting about it and how people thought that he looked like Jim Gordon, which I thought was incredible because yes. he did. Like he, he did, he really like did. Him. That was awesome honestly loved it when i unintentional easter egg i was like okay dressed up police officer uniform and then like clocked the the mustache the really impressive mustache that he had going on i was like okay (laughs) more like freddie mercury dressed in costume (laughs) and i was like i love that vibe so much (laughs) and then yeah as soon as like you you see him stood there and the light hits i'm like oh no that's like full-on young jim gordon so yes and i love that all the other police officers in that precinct all took one look at that get up and went yes that's a real person <laughs> like yep that's <laughs> definitely a person woke up this morning and came to work <laughs> dressed like that i adore that in any show that is remotely related to a comic book because it instantly gives me <laughs> superman vibes i'm instantly just like yes you put on a pair of glasses or a hat <laughs> or a mustache and you are a different person <laughs> I love Legit- it. There, there's a couple celebrities that are like that for me that when I see them with glasses mm. and without or if they change their hair color it's like they're a totally different person to me so I, I guess I can see how it works and like he says you know they know him as a scared kid they know yeah. what he looks like in that mode but they don't really know what he looks like when he's just looks normal and is walking around so I can see how he got away with it the mustache was a little much but I appreciate that he wanted I to loved that it. on such a fan <laughs> of the mustache like Tyler looked great in that mustache. Okay. He did. <laughs> and I'm not a mustache girl in general. So, <laughs> yeah, no, looked great. Loved it. I loved the conversation that we then got between Turner and Carrie, which is where she refers to herself as his dad's backup, mm-hmm. um, which I absolutely adore, but was also kind of a little bit heartbreaking in a way because I'm like, no, you don't need to always just view yourself as somebody's sidekick yeah. somebody's backup like like you are not the, the last resort here like you can you can own that part of yourself you are good at this yes. and turner tells her that she's good at this which is great because he's been so jealous of her so far <laughs> yeah. it was almost this moment of like it's very sweet that he's like being so supportive of her clearly trying not to tear her down like i think he recognizes that the jealousy that he feels towards her is kind of irrational and he's not trying to be mean to her or anything like that 
I do think that for him, it must hurt a little bit seeing somebody be so vulnerable and sort of doubt themselves when they've had that chance to be with him, to be with Bruce and to learn from him and all this stuff. And he never had that chance, or at least he never thought that he did in the way that Carrie has had. So it must be difficult for him to kind of watch her be like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know what I'm doing. Whereas he's over here, like if I had had half a chance to know my dad in that way, like I would have, you know, been able to do all these things. And they acknowledge that a little bit, you know, when Carrie's like, but I wanted the other side of Bruce. Like, you wanted this side of Bruce. I wanted the dad side. Like, that's what I was missing from him. Like, they're both missing something from Bruce. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. that one of them got all of him. <laughs> like, neither exactly. of them got the full picture. And I love that uh, Duela and Turner are actually both bringing out parts of Carrie in very different ways. Duela is... Mm-hmm goading her is <laughs> really just pushing all her buttons uh during these scenes um but she's bringing out that fire in her she's bringing out yes. that anger and almost like a spiteful streak because she's like no like this isn't gonna happen how dare they take credit for what i did and then this happens um and then <clears throat> excuse me turner is also bringing that out in her but in a very different way because she wants to protect him she wants to mm-hmm. prove that she, you know she is is worthy of this that do what bruce would have wanted her to they're kind of both having the same results but they're going about it in very <laughs> different ways <laughs> duella's talented she is like she's a little bit of a manipulator yes but she also is very has very good instincts when it comes to human nature and kind of what people need to hear and what they what direction they need to be pushed in um and in this case she's kind of using that power for good to kind of get Carrie in the right direction but we can see how that could probably backfire pretty quickly and she could definitely use that for evil I mean I personally love the moment where she calls out the evil plan in like two seconds like they're all standing around being like what would they what what's the purpose what would they attack and she's like oh well if I was planning this blah 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 blah." like she knew exactly what their mindset was it took her two seconds to figure out what they would be doing and I love seeing her brain work like that in scenes where she's talking to Carrie or talking to Turner or talking to any of them and being like hey like maybe maybe do this let me use a little psychology to kind of get you over where I need you to be yeah it's like we keep saying she's incredibly smart she's really good at reading people and predicting people's actions but she's so easily dismissed by people because they're like, oh, yeah. she's the chaotic, like, one that we, we can't predict what she's doing. Just ignore her. She's terrible and evil and chaotic and all these other things. Mm-hmm. Like, no, she is really smart and probably the most dangerous one of all of them if yep. she wanted to be. <laughs> yes. And also if she wasn't self-limited by occasional very, very silly choices. Yes. <laughs> which they're all prone to and i'm willing which to they are, because they a are. bunch of these people are like what 17 <laughs> yeah oh yeah they're they're all very young yeah. and very silly <laughs> so it's fine so when during that conversation carrie says that you know she, she brings back up that bruce didn't want turner to follow down that same path which again is very interesting contrasted against all of the things that he was clearly subtly training him to do mm-hmm. and making sure that he had martial arts lessons and making sure that he had fencing lessons and making sure that he went even just to this like prestigious school and learned you know you would assume or hope that they're getting a really good education <laughs> at that school <laughs> you hope but i don't necessarily know for a fact that that's what was going down but and even no. playing those little games with him and kind of planting those seeds of like being good at observation, like all these things that you have to be to be a good Batman. Yeah, the situational awareness from the sort of thumb game, things like that. And you got the impression that he was doing that when Turner was very young. 
like young enough to want to play little games at dinner parties to not be bored (laughs) and that kind of stuff um so clearly bruce had been planning for a long time to make sure that he had these skills but then carrie says that he didn't want him to go down that path so was it just a case of i want him to be able to protect himself yeah just in case or is it connected to whatever it is that he's worried turner is going to find out yes Um, because remember turner is our wild card character here we have no like comic reference for his origins or anything like that we have only what we've been told in this show which i kind of love i love having that wild card out there they could do anything with him and like i have no i have nothing i can't research (laughs) (laughs) there's no wiki page to go down you're on your own no the turner hayes wiki page is literally just a description of the first three episodes of gotham knights (laughs) So, so i love that i love that they can do anything with him um and I, I really want to know the answer to that journal question. Like, mm-hmm. what, what is it that Turner is hopefully at some point going to find out that Bruce was so worried about him finding out? And how does that play into whatever it was that he was training Turner for, if not to become Batman? Yeah, my only other thinking with that is that maybe he was training him in anticipation that someday he might want to be Batman, but maybe that he might turn that down. Like, I could see him maybe thinking that he wanted to offer him a choice. Like, to kind of say, like, you could have a normal life or you could do this and no hard feelings either way. But I wanted you to be prepared in case you wanted to step into that role. But I don't know. I still think that there's something suspicious going on about what happened to Turner's parents and how Batman came to be involved in that whole situation. I have wondered that myself. Like, is it a case of he was making sure that Turner had these skills in case something from Turner's own past came Mm -hmm. back to haunt him? Um, Who knows? There's definitely something that Turner doesn't know. Or a lot of somethings. <laughs> a lot, a lot of somethings. There's a lot of somethings. <laughs> Let me work out where we are at in the episode, because as I know, usual, I... we, we go off on these, <laughs> these tangents. Okay, we do. so we get this awesome scene between Duella and Harper, mm-hmm. um, where they are talking backwards and forwards, mostly about, about Cullen, which is great. And then we move on to our meeting of the Marches which I Mm -hmm. am so, so excited about. So (laughs) Stephanie has never met, um, I believe she's never met his father before. I think there's an implication that she has met his mom before. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense because if the mom's like up at school doing stuff or kind of being more involved in these social events, it would make sense that she would have met her before. Yes. And Lincoln comes across as much more aloof, much more too busy to be here but uh, you know oh yeah well you know like the the traditional like upper crusty parent relationship of like mom handles all the pta stuff and all the like parent teacher things and dad just shows up every once in a while like definitely that kind of relationship yes shows up once in a while to disappoint his child and then you know (laughs) Um, (laughs) to absolutely destroy his child's self-esteem and then walk out the door (laughs) yeah but we do learn a few interesting things about him in this scene. So we learn that he himself is a fencer and was a four-time, like he's good enough to have been a champion four years in a row, which mm-hmm. is, is interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting compared to that backstory. I can't remember how much we have, have we talked about Lincoln March at all in the previous episodes? You know what? I don't think that we have. I don't think we've actually oh, gone into much detail. It's almost like Mal oh. has information that she should share with us about this character. <laughs> I mean, I could, but I don't know how much to share simply because um, I believe this is one of the characters where we have been specifically told or it has been mentioned on social media. That there's definitely a twist here compared mm-hmm. to what we might be expecting if we have seen 
this particular character in other iterations. So, I mean, if anybody doesn't want spoilers, they probably shouldn't be listening to the show. I, well, I was, so I was going <laughs> to say, it's we've, we've clearly seen that Gotham Knights is its own thing. And so I don't think any particular storyline from the comics is like exactly how they're going to do anything. So just talking about these characters, I don't think is a is a spoiler for the show. It's, yes. it's extra knowledge. It's like exactly. extra it's credit assignment. Yeah, so the extra credit assignment on <laughs> Lincoln Marsh is <laughs> that... Um, one of the iterations of him specifically um, is a Talon. So we have this this character who, in, in some kind of versions, he he's a little more good, and in some, he's just incredibly not good. <laughs> um, however, one of the running themes in several of them is that he believes himself to be um, Bruce Wayne's long-lost brother. Um, mm. Yes. <laughs> whether that's, that's actually true. Yeah, whether that's actually true or not is, is never proved. And even Bruce Wayne himself points out that, like, without a DNA test, that they're never going to know that. Um, he had a very rough upbringing. He was an orphan as well, as is, you know, just just everyone's an orphan in Gotham. <laughs> um, but no he, one has one parent. Not one kid is walking around with parents. Not one. No. So he, um, both his parents were gone. Um, and in the in in some versions, there's kind of a slightly twisted of him blaming Bruce for that. Um, though that doesn't seem to directly be the case, but you know he's a supervillain; he can make up whatever reason he wants. <laughs> See, this is this is the thing that is most interesting to me. A lot of what we've gotten from Gotham Knights has come from the Batman Eternal comics. Um, the, the first appearances of a lot of these characters happened in the Detective comics, which was uh, some of kind of the oldest comics that we have now. Um, but a lot of the things that we've seen so far seem to be coming from this Batman Eternal universe, but a, a completely our own take on it in Gotham Knights. So in that particular verse, um, Lincoln is, uh, shall we say, a benefactor for a particular supervillain that he pulls the strings for and has him doing various various other things. So the thing that's interesting to me is uh, one of those supervillains is Clue Master, also known as Arthur Brown. Mm. <laughs> mm. Who we may or may not be meeting very soon in the show. Curious. Yes. <laughs> So th- there's a lot of ways that they could go with Lincoln. Clearly, they're they're doing something with that character. Clearly, he yeah. you know has a, a greater purpose in this narrative than just to look disapproving during dollars, <laughs> than just to look but, vaguely upset during a party. <laughs> yes, but I'm very interested in the fact that they made a point to let us know that he's a really good friend. Um, mm-hmm. They made a point to show his disapproval of, for example, Harvey at one point during this. Mm-hmm. So he he plays nice with him. He's got this good appearance. So he's holding up a lot of appearances, but there's more going on underneath. We we can tell. Oh, yeah. Are we going to see Talon Lincoln March? Mm, who knows? Um maybe, maybe not. It it completely, you know, depends where they decide to go with Gotham Knights as opposed to previous. But there is established comics canon for him being um Essentially, I've heard the term undead Talon. There's a, a serum that Talons can take in, in the comic books where the Talons are given the serum, it makes them faster and gives them like some regenerative, regenerative, I can't say the word, help me, regenerative abilities. Um, if that comes into play in this universe, it would explain why the Talon that they fought could take so much and then just <laughs> go back up and get with them. That would be completely in tune with the comics if that was the case. Yep. Um, and I'm really, really curious if we're going to see Lincoln 
being whether he is already whether he mm-hmm. becomes a talent through this process or whether they go a completely different way with him who knows i'm sure it'd be very entertaining whichever way but anyway those are my <laughs> thoughts on lincoln marsh love the character yes he's another terrible dad that we've gotten yes. to know now um and we see that he has a really rocky relationship with his wife rebecca and then we see that a certain other individual may not have such a rocky relationship with Rebecca. Um, yeah, I think we need to talk about Mr. Harvey Dent, oh, Mr. So smooth Operator Harvey so Dent. Very validated. Okay, so ever since it was all over social media that we were going to be getting these specific types of scenes. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna delicately dance around this one um there's specific types of scenes with harvey dent and as soon as i knew that we were getting um like some of the characters that we were getting in which episodes they yeah. were appearing in um let's just say lots of lots of research and nerdy googling happened <laughs> on my part and the one key thing is we knew that rebecca was going to be appearing in episode three mm-hmm. we knew that we were going to start getting this thread with harvey in episode three um, and the one key thing that they tell you in every single version of a wiki or anything about Rebecca is how unhappy her marriage is. <laughs> it just keeps coming up again and again. And I was like, there we go. That's, well, that's we what go. it's going to be. That's what it's going to be. And so when I say I shrieked in, in validation, <laughs> when I saw that episode... I'm so happy for you that that I was know. correct. It, it, I, it the makes thing is, sense. I never write about these things. Like I can come up with the most <laughs> off the wall theory, and just I'm never right, and that's fine with me. Like I, I like it's the enjoyment of coming up with yeah. the interpretation, the off the wall theory. I have no desire to actually be right, but I was very, very happy when I was with this one. <laughs> At least as and far I, as we were aware, he could have more as- going on. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was interesting that um, they had that moment with Lincoln where he was like, Harvey, you're, you know, you're really not a good liar. Like, you're just going to have to, like, step up and be a better liar. And the look on Harvey's face, I like the way Misha played it, where he almost had this little satisfied little grin on his face. Like, you don't even know, buddy. Like, I'm sleeping with your wife (laughs) and you don't even know. Like, it was just such an interesting expression because we keep seeing Harvey referred to as this white knight, this good person. Like, presumably a good person would not be having an affair with, like, a married woman. Like, you know, like, just kind of all these different things that, like all these little bits of Harvey that you're like, oh, well, that's not like a fully, purely good individual. Yes. And the way person. Misha is playing it. So immediately mm-hmm. after this conversation, he, he uh, turns and ends up speaking to Stephanie. He mm-hmm. sees her there and he, you know, is, is fairly polite to her. Obviously, she's not very happy with him because the last time they <laughs> met, she, you know, kind of wanted to arrest her. And yeah, <laughs> um, had a lot of things going on. So she snubs him, basically. Mm-hmm. and and, turns, <laughs> and After talking to Rebecca, even while he's talking to Stephanie, he's got this very warm, welcoming kind of smile on his face. Like he's, you know, he's playing the part. He's Mm -hmm. he's doing his job. He's schmoozing around. And then the second she snubs him, it's like a switch flips in his expression. Um, And I love those very quick, distinct expression changes that Misha is giving us for this character. Like he goes from, oh, you know, we're socializing. This is to, I would like to choke you out yep. and leave you in a gutter somewhere Literally. within like a split second yes oh my gosh and you can see the restraint that he's pulling because even with like lincoln like that's 
that's pretty humiliating. Like this guy just basically said to your face that like, you're not good at your job. Like Mm -hmm. not only are you not good at your job, but everyone can see it. Like everyone can see that you're just like this goody two shoes. Who's not good at his job. And in that moment, you feel him want to turn around and be like, oh yeah. Like you think I'm not good at my job. I'm sleeping with your wife. Like you can literally see that flash through his eyes before he just calmly pulls it together. And he's like, yeah, you know, have a nice evening. You know, just this very like, yeah, it's, it's all right there. And the whole night you see him battling that instinct to just go nuclear and like go rogue. And that moment where he does get his like sort of heroic second where he takes down the mutants, like even that's not really born from like wanting to be a hero. It's more, it's more like being angry that he was so disrespected and that this is happening in his space. Like that was an, it was interesting the way that they played that moment, which we will definitely get to later. Yeah. Javi is playing a game here but i think he is slowly losing control of the pieces the main piece being himself um so i love that wait i need to mention his tux obviously fantastic (laughs) again we're coming in with that red trim Mm -hmm. i I love that that whenever we keep seeing these touches of red with him we've also seen several times in this episode there are fantastic lighting first of all the lighting crew in this show (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if they, they either loved working with Harvey or they hated it because they were constantly <laughs> trying to find ways to put the left half of his face in shadow, which is fantastic. It works really, really well. And they did a great, great job of it. Um, there's a several specific scenes where they even managed to get it so that half of his face is red and half is dark. It's just fantastic the way that they've done it. Um, and the red trim on the tux as well. Now, this is like if you go back and look at the original comics of Two Face, he's literally wearing a suit that is half red, mm-hmm. um, split down the middle, like with a with a, a clear line. So I love it when we get those scenes when it's very much a throwback to like, oh no, this is going to be Two Face. Like this is literally half the screen red and the other half in the light, and then we get those the shadows on his face. Like they are constantly and i think increasingly like building up yeah um, reminding us of where this is going to go oh um, yeah I love the fact they're that totally they getting did there not make any effort to make that a secret i mean they could have very easily mm-hmm. tried to play it that oh you know we've got harvey dent and made no mention of two-face but i think it's brilliant that they did even from the beginning of the marketing just being like hey two-face this is who it's gonna be <laughs> harvey dent right now but it won't always be harvey dent um and see, I think you have to with a character like that, though, because yes. even for me as a non-DC person, like, I know the very basic, biggest DC characters, like, the best and the brightest, if you will, and I know Harvey Dent, I know Two-Face, I know what that evolution is, because I've seen it play out so many times in so many, like, well-known portrayals. I think if they had just tried to be like, it's just Harvey Dent, people would have been like, okay, but, like, when's Two-Face showing up? Yeah, now they can up? they can build that excitement because I'm excited to see that transformation. Now that I know that it's happening, I'm like, every episode, I'm looking for little clues. I'm looking for yes. facial expressions or changes. all these little things. Yes, yeah. and you can appreciate them so much more because you kind of know where that trajectory is headed. And, I mean, like you said, like, I just, the, the crew on this show really does astound me. Like, just the level of detail in the costumes, the lighting, the cinematography, like, everything is so well thought out in, in a way that sometimes it doesn't feel that cohesive on other shows. And on this show, it really feels like everyone has a singular vision. Everyone's excited to execute it. And they really want to do it well. And it's no secret that, like, this show is on the CW. It does not have the budget of, like, a Doom Patrol or a Titans or anything on HBO Max. Like, they're kind of making do with, like, network scheduling, network timing, network budget. 
And I think they're doing work that's like up there with some of these more expensively budgeted shows. And I think it's because you can tell how much they care and how much work they're putting into really giving DC fans what they want in a new way. Yeah. And they are doing it in a new way, which I think is so important. I think if they had just tried to emulate the old way, they would Mm -hmm. have fallen short because they simply don't have the budget that a big budget Batman movie has. Yeah, you can't make a Christopher Nolan Batman movie for the CW on that kind of, like, it just doesn't happen. Like, you can't, physically impossible to do. Like, no one could do it. And I think that they're doing a really great job of doing, working well with what they have and also giving us a new twist on different things. And like you were mentioning, everything with Harvey has been a lead up to that because you can see his evolution not just in Misha's acting but in everything they're doing around him as well yeah but right down to the the, the costume details like uh mm-hmm. the mismatched cufflinks we saw in like the earlier yes. episodes and um shoes being slightly different colors or you know the lighting making it look as if he has two different colored eyes just like all these little tiny details that all add up and you might not necessarily I, at least for me, when you're watching an episode, even if you don't necessarily pick up on every single detail, it mm-hmm. forms an, an overall impression yes. that subconsciously you're picking up on, even if you're not getting every single little mm-hmm. detail. So, Like something feels off about him, <laughs> even if you can't quite like put your finger on like why that is or like what's yeah, making he's you an uncomfortable off. character to watch yeah even though we love watching him because we love watching misha's exactly, portrayal yeah. of him misha's doing a fantastic job but they're deliberately making it so there's something uncomfortable you feel uneasy and i want to talk yes. about it more when we get to the scene with him and turner there mm-hmm. was just this general sense of unease that i was getting the entire time we watched that interaction that i don't it, it was interesting the way that they played it and we will definitely talk about it Yes. Uh, I guess now we should probably mention what's going on with the mutant gang and their chemicals that made me scream at Turner. (laughs) (laughs) Turner, just touching everything. You don't need just touch all the weapons, touch all the stuff, like no need to leave it where it is. You have to touch it with your hands to prove it's a toxic chemical. (laughs) Yes. Loves it for I just people. like everyone else. <laughs> everyone else is telling him not to do it. It's not even like all these kids are being dumb because I could kind of excuse it if it was like the entire group of teenagers just kind of collectively like, ooh, like what's this? No, everyone else is pulling him back yep. and being like, don't do that. <laughs> literally at some point it's just like, okay, just leave this to the people who know what they're doing. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like you're begrudgingly here because we need someone to help us come up with a plan, but like you're not the the main brains of this operation. No. Kiddo. Go stand in the corner, fix your quiff, and you'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to talk about the hair? Do we want to take a sidebar for a moment and talk about everyone's favorite? I mean, up, up until this point in the episode, I mean, we've got we've got a lot of poof going on in we this do. episode. We do. Like, is his hair poof increasing with his stress levels? That's what I want to know. I think so. I think it is. And I, <laughs> I I like that he had the hat on for part of the episode as well. So, like, yes. a little bit of a different look for him. But then again, he takes the hat off and the hair is perfect. Yeah. Rude. Where, where's the hat hair that everybody else would have had? <laughs> I was so, I won't say mad about that because for me, it's just a running joke that I absolutely love. <laughs> and I would kind of be disappointed if his hair was just messed up eternally like <laughs> no sometimes you need to embrace the cw-ness and yep. the quiffs are part of it um <laughs> but the hat hair i was just like this is just unfair how how can you look like that <laughs> <laughs> 
And an honorable mention, it must be said, goes to Harper's hair in this episode because yes. she had some the really cool like blue streaks in it that were like woven in and like braided into her little braids and they looked very cute. So we can't only be praising one person's hair here. We have a whole group of people with <laughs> nice hairstyles. Yes. And the blue, um, I'm going to assume, is a reference to her DC character who is known as Bluebird in um uh, mm-hmm. The, the comics um we've not had any reference to that here but i like that there's a little little touch there with the blue nice. yes i think she'd be a cute cute blue bird but you know we've already got a, we've already got a romit i guess so well yeah you gotta have on. you gotta you gotta have them all be birds now <laughs> they're all gonna have a bird identity <laughs> but yeah that hair was awesome and the fallon is is gorgeous anyway like no matter what you do but like something about that hair knocked me out fantastic <laughs> <laughs> well it just seemed to fit her personality so well yeah. and like they're definitely finding their groove in terms of like how each of them are dressing and like how the costumes are really reflecting their personality and their hairstyling choices and things like that and i think it just fits her to have a streak in her hair and to be a little bit more like she's got her hair in braids like it's utilitarian like it's easier for her to move when she has them like that but i also like a little individual streak that they gave her too yeah she's clearly got her own like sense of style and personality and even though she is going like you said for something more utilitarian that kind of fits her her thief sneaky persona <laughs> that she has going on um she, she's still like no i'm still in here like i still i still have this going on I, i'm wondering if um as she progresses throughout the season i'm hoping that we'll see like some wardrobe changes for her see some more things mm-hmm. going on i'm also really interested in just watching all of their wardrobe changes at the moment because yes. if i'm thinking correctly they are still probably mostly wearing the clothes that they stole from that store yeah because we saw them take bags not just one outfit so like i want to know what else they're going to be pulling out of these bags yeah clearly duella just like loaded herself down with chokers (laughs) (laughs) all the accessories she's got all the jewelry in the world that she's wearing which is great (laughs) all right so now that we've gushed over that uh we're probably on to slutty drinks i think yes oh (laughs) my god that was a wonderful line i enjoyed that so much stephanie when she gets a little salty a little sassy i love it she always comes out with these great lines i'm like you and duella should be friends i think you'd actually get along (laughs) i really think they would just the sass between the two of them give me a (laughs) duella stephanie ship please (laughs) yes oh my goodness we'll just ship everybody on this show (laughs) yeah just, just everybody See, that's how I can tell when I'm enjoying a show, when all of the characters are so well realized by themselves that I could throw any of them together and make it work. Yes, definitely. And they would. They would. They actually would work really well. Yes, they would. So, yes, Brody goes off, gets them some drinks that are <laughs> not as virgin as they're labeled. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she makes a comment about how they don't need to add underage drinking to their rap sheet at that point but i'm of the other mind like at that point like underage drinking yeah, is the least of your problems that's literally the least and it'll help you get through this whole evening which i think would be very important because this party throughout the episode even before they start bombing it and <laughs> spilling it with poison gas like i would not have wanted to be at that event it does not seem no, like a fun time <laughs> does not does not and um it also gets us the like textual confirmation where they have this conversation she says um talking about meeting their parents and he asks her what she thinks of his <laughs> family and she's very tactful yeah 
But he specifically says that it's not like his his way of framing his mom is that he frames her in terms of his dad. Like she is an yep. extension of him. He says that it's not easy being married to Lincoln. And I'm like, that that makes perfect sense. That is great. But again, that is just framing her as part part of him, which yep. I feel like has probably been a theme in this poor woman's life. Gee, <laughs> I wonder why maybe she's having an affair with Harvey Dent. I wonder why she <laughs> might have decided. That yeah. she wanted to look for love and affection elsewhere. I yeah. mean, yeah. <laughs> Lincoln doesn't come across as the most loving husband. Let's put it no, I don't think so at all. And it's funny because, you know, Brody's obviously a kid. He's not going to look at his parents' marriage and just be able to see his mom as a full person in the same way that he probably doesn't see his dad as a full person because you just can't do that at that age. It's just not possible. Yeah. So I do think it's interesting that for him, his father looms so large over his life that like everything is defined by its relationship to him and how they come across. It's just so many daddy issues, so much to unpack. So many, which (laughs) Stephanie articulates by then answering him with the fact that it can't be easy being his son either. Yep. Because, um, oh, there's got to be so much pressure involved with that. But Stephanie sees it. She clearly sees she that does. and is maybe gaining more of an appreciation for Brody as she mm-hmm. meets the rest of his family, or at least more understanding of him. Yes. So we get this fantastic scene now where they are working out what's going on with this bomb, and we get Duella um, just, just deducing almost instantly what is happening here by just putting yes. herself in their shoes and being like, well, this is how my daddy would have done it. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a very Joker-like plan. Like, it's a very, like, you can see, and as much as she's like, this is what my dad would have done, I think a little bit was also, if I was planning this event, yes. <laughs> if I was thinking of ways to take down my enemies, this is what I would start with. So that was a little bit of a tell. Like, we know, we know your dad's the one who's the criminal mastermind, but you are definitely up there. You could be a criminal mastermind if you wanted to be. Yes. And it's so interesting how she still insists, even textually in this episode, that mm-hmm. she hates him. She hates yep. her father, like, and yet she still strives to emulate him in so many ways, both subconsciously and like her speech patterns and actions yep. and everything else. Or which... to like beat him in his own game, yes. like to do him, but do him better, you know? Yeah. And, and I love that because she's clearly so messed up. Like of all the daddy issues, those, those are quite far up there on the ranking they, of daddy yeah, issues they are. In, in this show. Um, but I love it. And I I love the way Olivia plays it because mm-hmm. you can look at her and see the Joker traits. Like you can yep. see different Jokers throughout the years and they have, you know, involved different traits in their characters. But you can see that in the way that she speaks like the actual speech patterns that she has in the little motions that she does like certain little little kind of ticks that yes. she has yes um in her laugh um in her the way she smiles and like almost has this like very inappropriate smile like oh i'm gonna smile at the most inappropriate moment mm-hmm. um i just love it she's doing such a great job giving us the vibes of the joker and yet making it a completely unique character just yes by herself it's nice to see those little nods that she'll throw in there, though, to different performances. There are a lot of times where the way she speaks reminds me so strongly of, like, Heath Ledger's Joker that I'm like, wow. Like, that, like it just kind of takes you back to watching that performance. And her performance is unique. It's not that it's, like, derivative of all these other performances. But, like, you can see how much effort she put into researching all of these different portrayals and really, like, putting it into her own unique spin, which is great. Um 
And I love she gets she gets another great line in that scene where they're trying to convince her to go along with them on this plan. And they're like, oh, you can just punch a bunch of mutants like that's that's like a plus. Right. And she's like, oh, my God, you should have led with that. Like, yeah. you should just let me know that I could be a chaos gremlin on purpose and that it would <laughs> let be me get my purse. <laughs> let me get my purse. Like, let's do this. Um, yes. But I I would love to know your thoughts on whether we will actually see daddy dearest this season if we're gonna see joker because they're kind of hinting at it in a weird way like i know he's supposed to be dead but like it's one of those things where i love how much his presence is felt even though he's not Mm -hmm. there i think Mm -hmm. that's done really well i think at the moment if i had to put money on it i'm gonna put money on us not seeing him however i would put that money put money on that being a potential season two storyline yeah that's kind of where I'm falling with at the moment. Um, maybe maybe the plan is just to have him be completely dead and that is it. However, I think there would be a lot of potential for a storyline for her in maybe finding out that he wasn't or that he's been, you know, faking his own death all this time, mm-hmm. which is a very Joker thing to do. Like, <laughs> it would like be they, an they extremely very Joker easily thing. have that happen. Yeah. Yes. Um, but in terms of her character development, I think that would be a really interesting thing to watch even not necessarily to have the joker be uh, a character that was in the show mm. a lot or anything like that, just to see it through her um would be very fascinating i do li- also kind of like the idea that maybe she herself is somewhat suspicious that he's not really gone that yeah he's around somewhere and how it would affect her if at some point maybe she found proof that he was I, I'm I'm curious as to how that would play out because she puts a yes. lot of effort into this hating this character, but he was clearly he was around for her very formative years or months <laughs> when she was a little cheeky. But she clearly <laughs> let's has, not give him too much credit. Yeah, it, it was a period of months. Yeah, can't overcredit the man, but she has she has a lot of traits from him. She's clearly been told a lot about him. She has followed his air quotes career um <laughs> hey it's a career life yes, of crime true. is still a career <laughs> okay okay so yeah i kind of want to know how that would affect her either way how it would affect her if he's alive and how it would affect her if she had like in proof that he was not that he's never coming back she's never going to get to punch him in the face or do whatever she <laughs> feels like doing um, I think that that could play out very interestingly both ways. So I would be thrilled if we got the Joker. I would not be at all disappointed if we don't. Yes. And I think that she might even have some fear going on there as well if he did come back because it's yes. like, he's a scary guy. You know, he is yep. like a, not a nice person and clearly doesn't have a lot of like paternal affection towards her. Like, I wonder if a lot of this bravado is like, haha, he's dead. I can be a little bit more crazy and I can invoke his name a lot more. If she starts name dropping him all over town and he comes back from the dead, it's going to be a little bit harder for her to keep doing that over time. I would also be interested yeah. to see if we got a Joker on screen only because I think that that would necessitate some very interesting casting. Um, not just anybody can play the Joker. It's a pretty tough role to nail. And I think it's been played so well at this point so many times that Mm -hmm. to find another take on the Joker, it's almost like, okay, I'm glad that they didn't start out telling us if, if the Joker's going to appear, I'm glad that they didn't tell us right away that that was going to happen because people would have time to overanalyze and talk about any casting choices and all that kind of stuff. Um, and if it's not going to happen, then I respect that choice. And I understand why they wouldn't necessarily want him to show up. You already have Harvey Dent, who's a very iconic villain. 
you don't yeah. want to necessarily overshadow Harvey Dent and everything that Misha's doing with like this random Joker appearance either, you know? You'd want to have that character around for longer than like an episode, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I also think there's a very interesting angle in that maybe we should consider Obviously, we don't know what they're doing in Gotham Knights. There's always that disclaimer because <laughs> this is this very much feels like their own thing and like an AU here. Um, but in the comics, uh, Duela is uh, Duela Doe, as we're having her here. But as the Joker's daughter is an alias, that is not something that's true. So she is, in fact, um, Harvey Dent's daughter in a, a bunch of the, the comic stuff. That's that would be a twist that I would be leaping up at my tv <laughs> screen being like oh my god if it turns out that it's harvey Dent's daughter yes so you know initially she uses that joker's daughter thing as an alias um but in this one she or at least the impression we've got so far like she seems to genuinely believe that that yes. seems to be who she is so at the moment i am taking that as like face value that either that is a distinct change for this particular universe or maybe it's something that she genuinely grew up believing. Mm -hmm. um, so she herself is not aware of that. Um, or maybe she did choose for that to be like, we don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Or she genuinely believes it and it is Harvey's daughter and he doesn't know that it's his daughter. Oh, there's so many different ways of this to go. So many. I, <laughs> I do think it's interesting in light of that, that they have made such an emphasis on Harvey being like, Duella is the worst <laughs> child in yes. the history of the world. And so worried she... about her influence on Turner. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. It would uh, be very interesting if it turned out that that that, that was the case. I would yeah. that would be really fun. But I'm glad yeah. that we're seeing a little bit more of her <coughs> talking about her father and kind of talking about his legacy a little bit. And like even Colin sort of being like, "You're still kind of obsessed with this guy, huh?" Like yeah. as much as you say that you don't care, or that you're glad he's dead, or that you're angry, or whatever. Like you still clearly are interested in this guy and figuring out what made him tick. Yes. So I will be happy wherever they go with that because I think every <laughs> single avenue is very interesting whether it's a completely new version of this character where that is not true um or the multiple ways that they could take that with her um but it just makes her obsession in a way with the joker that a little bit more interesting to me mm -hmm. when i put it against how how it works in the comics so but yeah she's very much thinking like daddy in that specific scene <laughs> yep. um and she's quite poetic with it as well like the way mm -hmm. she speaks sometimes is very like poetic even if she's being kind of blunt <laughs> but she yes. works it out she uses the she uses her brain she works out exactly what's going on there um, and we do see a lot of intelligence from harper in that scene as well like she knows what these chemicals are what they do um obviously i was googling the chemicals to see <laughs> <laughs> so i would say versions of real chemicals not necessarily the way that they exist in yeah this, yeah it's it's almost like they didn't want to provide instructions for yeah. making a bomb on the cw think, um which we think. appreciate <laughs> we, we don't need we don't need any of that <laughs> but i like that we establish her as being kind of good with chemicals good with science knowing these things before her later conversations with stephanie where uh yes. eh, that doesn't it's, it gets interesting real quick there <laughs> it sure does so turning back to Stephanie, then she is um, at this this gala having a I won't say having a great time, but she's there. <laughs> um, <laughs> she is. <laughs> and once they work all this out, and we've we've cracked the plan. Obviously, Turner immediately 
calls her as their completely inadvertent woman on the inside here. I immediately did have the thought of why doesn't he just tell her to pull the fire alarm? <laughs> like, why doesn't this he just true. tell her? Because I mean, yeah, I, I would say because he's stupid, but he he has his moments. He has his moments, and he's clearly panicking in that moment because he's concerned for his friend. He doesn't know like what's happening here. He's clearly a little bit on the panic side. So just telling her run and hit the nearest fire alarm, get everybody out, is clearly not, you know, not what comes to the forefront of his mind. Maybe uh, <laughs> in review, he would have thought of that. But instead, he tells her to get out. So clearly there's his priorities right there. Who gives a shit about all these other people? You get out. We find out what the mutant gang have been doing. Now, by the time the rest of the crew arrive, we don't see Stephanie like scouting out this place and discovering like where the bomb is and all that kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. she knows because she immediately tells them when they arrive, they're like, oh, it's, you know, there's a boiler yeah. room up here and that kind of stuff. So she's been busy in the time that they have been. <laughs> I wonder what Brody thinks she's doing. Like <laughs> that was my question. Like she just ditched her date and went exploring in the boiler room. <laughs> <laughs> while while chaos is unfolding upstairs, mind you, too. It's not even just that she just like went to go to the bathroom and didn't come back. Like yes. there's all this like I would think that he'd be worried about her, like wondering where she is. Yes, well, that is the scene where we see Brody protecting his mom, actually, which <laughs> was a little detail that I really liked. So when the mutants pour in and they're, you know, kind of shaking people down for their jewels and things like that, <laughs> he tries to step in front of Rebecca when one of the mutants goes for her and he gets a fist to the face for the <laughs> he does. For, for his trouble. The poor um, kid. But that was an interesting character moment for me because he very clearly cares about his mom a, a lot, like enough mm. to try and physically protect her when she's threatened. Yeah. Um, he also can't take a punch very well. <laughs> <laughs> like at heart, I think he's a good kid. Like he's yes. obviously got a tough exterior and he's a little bit, like we've said before, he's a little bit privileged, but I don't think he's he's a bad kid at all. And I think he does have the right instinct to want to protect his mom and want to... He is. Like, he has good instincts, good but I think he's very quickly learning that life isn't as simple or prettily cut as he thought it was. Um, no. And, you know, that, that things have consequences. And that maybe at this point, you know, his dad's money is still getting him out of these consequences. But then he gets a literal consequence straight to his face. <laughs> Like, <laughs> how's that for a consequence, kid? <laughs> yeah, so it's I like I like Brody's journey that we're going on here. Uh, he's not my favorite character so far, but I I do enjoy what we're doing with him. And I love the mutant gang line about what does this button do? <laughs> I was like, yay! Because I mean, I would be the person who would be like, what does the button do? Press the button. <laughs> no, no, you would be the one pressing you the button. Send me sure. in first. Yeah, I wouldn't be the one that would be pressing the button. I'd be the one watching the door. I'd be like, I'll be lookout, guys. I got you <laughs> from way over here. Yeah, we, we'll send Turner in. He would press it with no encouragement whatsoever. <laughs> Just be like, oh, Turner this is red and pretty. Two seconds into the plan. <laughs> yes. 100%. I loved in that scene where they're figuring out the um, mutant gang's plans and they're sort of like, oh, wait, like, this is why they have the gas mask. Like, they're actually just going to get this guy out, but then they're not going to not bomb everything. I loved Duella picking up the gas mask because she's just like, I'm just going to hang on to this one. I'm just gonna, I'm just going to keep this one by me. <laughs> yes, I, and love, I that. love that that is one of the scenes that Chad Vibash chose to do a little Lego <laughs> representation of. So there's this tiny little Duella with a tiny little gas mask. Oh. <laughs> like, the details are insane. <laughs> It's perfect. Me and then too, Duella. We Me get, too. Um, after they, they've had all this kind of discussion, we get that moment where we see the news uh, flash up and they're mm -hmm. saying um, right now that Gotham could use a Batman. And then we get that transition to Turner's face, which 
I just loved because it's half pain, like Batman is dead. He he's not yeah. here. It's you know, we've we've got what's left of his family right here. But at the same time, do we have a Batman? Or do we at least have somebody who is willing to step into those shoes, maybe temporarily, mm-hmm. but do we have that? I don't know. But he is trying to step up in this episode, yeah. I really think. And I know that the creators have said this before, and I think it's such an effective framing device that they do have these newscasters, like, throughout these episodes, kind of giving updates as almost like this little Greek chorus, like, kind of giving us an idea of what's going on in the rest of Gotham. And yes. I I do have to point out that in the narration, <laughs> this just, it killed me and I couldn't get over it. The whole rest of the episode where they're talking about this whole bombing that's been happening, there's hundreds of hostages trapped, you know, the sort of thing that would definitely, like, make the nightly news in any major city if it happened there it would probably be the dominating thing in that the the entire leadership is trapped (laughs) in this building you have the everyone involved and she goes okay you know like going this whole thing in other news they actually moved to another (laughs) story (laughs) and i just yeah like that wouldn't be the main round the clock (laughs) like we are staying with the story until we're right here we've got the live feed no she's like oh yeah so in other news so i like that that implies that like in gotham this is like tuesday you know like it's big we're back to the character of gotham here because that says so much about gotham and this entire like their entire lives like what they've lived in and Mm -hmm. that harvey dent grew up in yep this this chaos, this constant crime, which I mean, just makes you wonder, like, what are house prices in Gotham like? Because, <laughs> <laughs> or do do people want to live in Gotham? Why? Are yeah, we why here? is everybody not left? You know, <laughs> especially because in like theoretically, it's generally accepted that Gotham is somewhere in New Jersey. So yeah, like, yeah. like what, it's what not it, an island. About, yeah. <laughs> It's is it within a country. <laughs> well, especially all these like rich people, like very powerful people who clearly would have influence even outside of Gotham, but certainly have more influence within it. Like, I don't understand why these people keep going to parties together <laughs> and I would not be anywhere near the mayor if I was these people. Yeah. I would never go to an event where he was present. I would never go to an event where Harvey Dent was present. I would never be anywhere near any of them. <laughs> yeah, like this stuff gonna go down here i'm just gonna dip out i'll maybe drive to the next town over catch a movie exactly like i'm no super villain myself but even i can see that maybe if you gather all of the elite people in gotham in one room like right after batman has died and left a power vacuum in your city i feel like that's going to be targeted by someone it's a running theme in in <laughs> almost every batman movie or whatever we get some kind of scene like this i think where mm-hmm. like all of the elite well-off supervillain slash superhero people all assemble in fancy dresses and i mean part of it is simply just that we love seeing scenes like that we love seeing yes. the costumes it's visually pleasing um and we, we love those kinds of scenes but i feel like it's also kind of a batman staple at this point yes <laughs> oh totally and it's a very effective easy like metaphor and a way to bring class into it in a way that is always yes. very effective with gotham yes and which the batman comics and animated show and, and very much gotham night so far never leans away from that or shies away from it in any way that they specifically address it with harper i think in this episode like this argument that she has with stephanie in a few minutes in front of the bomb (laughs) um that they really specifically talk about that in in her framing stephanie is looking down at her um Mm -hmm. which it 
you know, we can we can discuss whether we think Stephanie was actually doing that or what what was going on there um, in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> what was going on there? We have definitely got to discuss that. Yes, because first of all, we get the scene where they're explaining what happens and or what's what the plan is essentially, and Harper is not really sold initially. Yeah. Um, she doesn't seem to have the drive to risk herself or to throw herself into this, like for example, Colin does. Like Colin was mm-hmm. pretty excited for his role in this <laughs> this one. He he is off at the GCPD. We'll catch up with him in a second, but she is not ready to throw herself in like the rest of the mids are. There's a point where it genuinely seems like maybe she's just gonna stay behind and not not yeah. get involved at all. Um and like we said, well, I just wants to punch mutants. <laughs> yeah, she's in. She's in for the chaos. I lament the fact that we did not see her and Carrie's team up to take down the mutants. We heard about it. Like, we yeah. heard, like, oh, yeah, we subdued a bunch of these guys. They're all set. I wish we could have seen those two fighting together to see this little well-trained Carrie Kelly with her very clean moves and doing all her yes. stuff. And Duella just going in and... I don't even know what <laughs> just being a chaotic yes. tornado. Like I, I can picture her like biting, like just fully. <laughs> like I feel like she's feral when she fights. She is, and she's good. <laughs> like we've seen her fight before. Like she, she yes. knows how to land a punch. But it, I really wish I could have seen those two together <laughs> fighting right. together. Because I feel like even, even without thinking about it, Carrie probably has rules when she fights because she mm-hmm. was specifically taught like to do these yep. things. She was trained. Whereas I feel like Duella. Like nobody introduced the concept of rules. They introduced the concept of survival. Um, you win or you die. Is, yeah, the rule is you survive. <laughs> like yeah. that's, that's it. So yeah, their their contrast in fighting styles would have been very interesting. But I do think probably just in this like last oh, yeah. section of the episode, they probably wanted to save the emphasis of the fight scene for something very specific. <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. So, but yes, I did would like imagining that, and the little bit that we heard about it was still very satisfying. <laughs> Yes. So, so we get this moment where they're like coming out of the tunnels where Harper mm-hmm. um and when, when Stephanie lets them out, where she looks Stephanie up and down and is, yep. I would say, immediately judging her <laughs> based yeah. on Yeah, oh yeah. There's some judgy energy there. There's a, there's a little bit of skepticism, healthy yeah. skepticism on both sides. There is. And I think Harper is vocal about mm-hmm. her opinions of or her prejudices. Um, I don't think maybe she recognizes them as prejudices no. yet she <laughs> considers people to be prejudiced against her but has perhaps never examined her own biases on that front mm-hmm. um which makes sense with her like history and and how her life has been makes perfect sense for sure but then teaming her up with stephanie like that was just genius i think like the two of them together listening to them argue while everyone else is kind of getting on and actually doing what they're supposed to do like it's, Colin yeah. is being successful like Duella and Carrie are like kicking butts literally and then they are um well just arguing <laughs> just just arguing <laughs> over this bomb and I think it <laughs> speaks a lot to my knowledge of science that at no point during their argument was I like oh one of them's clearly right because I was kind of like well points are being made <laughs> like, I guess I I fair I suppose I guess you both have a little bit of a fight a point in the fight but I liked that you could so clearly see that both of their prejudices were coming out because yes Harper has been underestimated her entire life and everything mm-hmm. that she knows about this stuff has not come from like a fancy private school education it's come from like self-teaching and learning herself whereas I think you can tell that Stephanie is kind of sitting there thinking who is this kid like telling me 
about this stuff? Like, what qualifications does she have? Because that's how she's thinking about the situation. Is like, I may not be a chemist or anything, but I definitely have like learned this stuff before. And yes, and it's tough because in in some ways, I think Harper was a little harsh on Stephanie. Like, I don't think that necessarily Stephanie was coming into it intending to be prejudiced towards her or intending to be like looking down on her at all and in that moment after they sort of defuse the bomb or or stop it from going off and harper gets so angry and walks away stephanie's face is like devastated like the look on her face is not like oh like i was right and she was wrong like her face is like she's thinking some thoughts she's never thought before yeah (laughs) like like she's she's been made to see her own internal mm-hmm. prejudices maybe completely unintentional doesn't mean they're not there exactly and, yeah you know she's she's had to to face those for a second and i would i, mean, I really want to see where those characters go from here like whether they continue yeah. like just snapping at each other for the rest of the season or if we get some kind of eventual like genuine friendship evolving there yeah um i love the fact that at this kind of early point in the season they're not enough of a team yet that they're yeah. that they can work together through this like they're both so individualistic Mm -hmm. that they have to be right at this point like they can't consider that actually we could both be right and we could work this out as a team that doesn't occur to them at any point (laughs) that they're both wholly individuals in this they're working for the same same goal and they want to live (laughs) they would both like to live and i kind of think it's interesting the way that harper frames it as you were willing to like risk my life like Mm -hmm. on your plan and it's like well she was also willing to risk her own because if her plan didn't work, then you all would have died too. But it was just that idea of like, you were willing to just throw me to the wolves, throw all these people to the wolves, like to get this plan the way that you wanted it. Like, I thought that was an interesting way of framing that. And I also yeah. really like that the tension between them is not over a boy. And I know that mm-hmm. sounds really silly, but no, so they, often they on these shows. The test in that scene. Yeah. Because Uh, because... the two of them, it has nothing to do with Turner. It has nothing to do with them. Because as far as we've seen, I don't think Harper has any romantic interest in Turner whatsoever. Maybe that develops later, but I don't see it I mean, at this point, she appears to think he's kind of an idiot, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she's not, she doesn't see him that way. And if Stephanie sees him that way, she's she's not showing it right now. Like, she's sort of keeping that to herself. So there's there's no jealousy there over, like, a guy, over interpersonal relationships or, like, just weird backstabby girl fighting like it's just these two people have fundamentally different worldviews that have never really been challenged like harper has never really met somebody from stephanie's class who hasn't been a jerk uh and Mm -hmm. stephanie has not really met somebody from harper's class who hasn't been like a criminal a thief like all these like sort of negative stereotypes i actually think all of the conversations that we saw in this episode and in the previous ones even between all of these different women or girls whatever 17 mm-hmm. however old they may be children um <laughs> they're all passing the Bechdel test like yeah. all of them like none of them are conflicted because of a boy <laughs> like <laughs> that may play into some of the tension between other characters like for example yeah. between Turner and Stephanie and Brody mm-hmm. um but the women have their own issues which are completely separate yeah. they have conversations about and I absolutely love that I love that we are getting fully realized characters who don't just exist to further the bat brat <laughs> so and and do i love love triangles yes do i love ships of course i do do i love drama revolving around those things yes however it is nice to see that they're not that that's not the immediate source of conflict here and i think it's rarer than it should be like i've always thought of the bechdel test as like a the bar is in hell sort of bar you know to clear yes. 
Uh, but the fact that so many things don't clear it is pretty yes, remarkable. We still get so many shows that fail that test. And yeah. Like, <laughs> so the fact Gotham that this clears so far, it. Not one of them. Yes. <laughs> yes. They have absolutely cleared that bar. And I found that scene so interesting. I thought it was, it kind of, I wasn't expecting to get it. And so once I did get it, I was like, oh, I really needed this. This fit perfectly into what we were talking about in this episode. Mm-hmm. So I guess we should discuss what's going on with Cullen while all this is happening with his <laughs> impressive mustache and him walking into the space station. And uh, he was sweating it. Our boy was uh, sweating it that he whole time. Was like he'd been he'd been so enthusiastic about it when he was in front of everybody else, and then when he got in there, <laughs> surrounded by all these cops, he definitely had a moment where he was just mm-hmm. like, "Okay, this was probably a bad idea, but I'm here now." Yeah, <laughs> so. we're gonna we're gonna get through it. Especially once they all started like pulling together and being like, "There's a hostage situation." Like you could literally see the look on his face. He was like, "Of course, <laughs> like of yes. course there was." This would happen to me. <laughs> this would it? happen. Yes. To me. <laughs> I love the line that we got um, from the police officer behind the desk where he's advi- <laughs> advising him to to bring coffee next time like you think it's going to be something <laughs> serious in the end it's just coffee uh, calls it the juice of the bean mostly because <laughs> did you see the behind the scenes picture that natalie shared yes! of the gift yeah that was so good that mug with a little mustache and everything perfect it was Absolutely wonderful that everything about that was great i wish we could have had more time with undercover colin only because yes. Like we said before, I think Tyler was having an absolute blast and like that comes through. <laughs> like it really yeah, comes it, through. It really sells it because you just feel like on some level, no matter how dangerous this is, he's just really enjoying himself. Yeah, because he's I hope good we get at more dress up Cullen moments at some point. Yes. In this more undercoverness for these teenagers, which I think the photos that we've seen from upcoming episodes, which you can check out over on nerdsandbeyond.com, yeah. uh, there have been a few of Duella potentially episode looking four. not yep. very Duella like. Uh, so yes. we're very excited for that. <laughs> yes. So we get this uh, moment that this is when the, the moment crops up when the mutants are attacking everybody. Brody's defending his mom. The jewelry is being taken. We get a very, very distinct shot of Harvey removing his watch. So we get mm-hmm. a very clear image of that watch, um, which could work two ways. Either we are identifying that watch as not being something, or we are remembering what that watch looks like for later. <laughs> <laughs> File that one away. <laughs> yes. Hmm. Um, we're, we're back to Harper and Steph still sniping at each other. We have not yet mentioned the absolutely iconic line where <laughs> Harper tells her that she doesn't want to get bomb all over her Valentino, <laughs> and the response to that being it's that it's not a Valentino, it's a May Nickel. So huge mm-hmm. shout out to costume designer Jennifer May, May Nickel for that one. Yes. Um, that was fantastic because I'd seen something, I think it was on Twitter, where they said beforehand that there was going to be a specific uh, Easter egg in relation to that dress. Um, yes. And that was the most fantastic one it could have been, in my opinion. It <laughs> was, was a great one. I, I I love all these little like name drops and Easter eggs and things like that. I love when they can bring the crew into the show in a more Easter eggy, tangible way. Because obviously their contributions are evident. They're right in front of us. You see them in every episode. But it's just nice to see that acknowledgement. I've always loved on every TV show where they have like the name of a file is like the director of the episode or something like that. I think it's very cute and very funny. I love little references like that. For example, um, when they're talking about this bomb and how long they have for it's you know going to go off, how long they've got before he's released, that kind of thing, they specifically say that they have 42 minutes 
which obviously is the runtime of a le- an episode of Gotham Knights. Which is <laughs> just like, yeah, that, that's perfect. Of course, it's 42 minutes. I, I love those extra little details, which overall, does it have, you know, a, a huge yeah. meaning? No, but for nerds like me, it's fantastic. <laughs> and that is who this show is very clearly for, honestly. It's for the nerds. It's for the people who are going to notice, notice these little details. And I appreciate that. I think that's really great. Yes. Now, do, do you want to tackle this scene between Turner and Harvey? Because I know you have a lot of opinions and thoughts. Oh, I have thoughts. I have thoughts. So we get this we get this lovely scene where Turner has been trying to get to Harvey to convince him to go along with their plan. And it's the first time really that they've seen each other since Turner ran. And so they're kind of having multiple conversations. They're trying to impress upon Harvey the urgency of what's going on with this whole situation. But also they're having this like almost like weird father-son dynamic chat about what's been going on between them. And some of the things, some of the way that Harvey chose to phrase things, some of the ways that he reacted to what Turner was telling him made me think that perhaps Harvey knows a little bit more about the owls than he's letting on. Like, for example, Turner's telling him about the owls, like, as if this is going to be new information for him. And part of me was like, well, it wouldn't be totally new information to Harvey, right? Because it's pretty clear that this is like an actual shadow organization. He's the district attorney. Surely he's surely he's heard rumblings of them before. But the way he was acting, it wasn't like, uh, oh, yeah, you know, Turner, I did know about that. Like, it's just something you deal with. He was kind of like, huh, interesting that you've that you've figured that out. Like, he was sort of yes. not wanting to say too much. There was this conscious, yes. like, holding back. And, and not sharing everything that he knows. And Turner yes. did not pick up on it because Turner is a trusting boy <laughs> who yes. uh, does yes. not really mm-hmm. have that level. Part of me wonders if he had brought like Duella with him for that conversation. Yeah, if she like how different that, that would have been. Because had. I think she would have picked up on it. And yeah. just even their conversation in that moment, it just made me think like, I think Harvey's definitely got something up his sleeve yeah. that we don't know Harvey- about specifically articulates we have that wonderful line where he says why trust me and uh-huh. it's, it's a very open question but a very layered one like mm-hmm. why trust me and then at that moment when he's saying that that's when we get that fantastic lighting change yes. where half of the background behind him becomes red and his his face is mm-hmm. almost always but very very strongly half in shadow on the left hand side um as he's as he's asking that question and responding yep. Um, and that's and very of course, much a two-faced moment. Like it's it is like it's so two-faced, and 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 it's also we still don't know very much about Harvey in terms of where his political ambition comes from. Like, why does he want to be mayor? Like, okay, sure, he wants to make the world a better place. Whatever. Clearly, that's not the case. Like, nobody in Gotham is running for mayor for that altruistic of a reason. We saw him having that conversation with his campaign manager. We know that he's aware of the dirty side of politics, and he's willing to play into it if he needs to i just wonder if maybe perhaps someone has made a bit of a deal with the owls at some point and that maybe that's part of why they are forcing out the old mayor the old mayor also made some really catastrophically silly decisions that like if i'm the owls like you almost have to take action but i wonder if maybe harvey has kind of been groomed as the heir apparent for a reason and it's because he's working with the owls we can also talk about that watch moment And whether or not we perhaps think that that was a hint, because we learn later on that there are a lot of people at this party who were 
part of the owls. And we know that because the jewelry that was stolen had that symbol on the back of the watches, um, just yeah. like the watch that Duella was trying to fence earlier. And uh, he is a character that we very conspicuously saw him take his watch off. We know that he had one on and yeah. they wanted us to know that he had one on. So exactly. it's either a brilliant but... bit of misdirection where they're saying, oh, we want you to think that he's part of the owls. We want you to think that he's in this. So we're going to put this little this little thing in here to make you think that or it really is. <laughs> and he actually yeah, is it's one of those things. Them. They gave us a very, very clear shot of him removing mm-hmm. that watch. Like it was it was very deliberate. Now, that the watch that he was taking off was square. It was a square watch. So far, all of the Owl's watches have been circular-faced watches. Yes. <clears throat> Does that mean they all are? Who knows? We, don't, we yeah. don't know that yet. But it gives us a very distinct watch to look for in future, future mm-hmm. episodes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it, it was definitely intended to put that thought in our heads, I think. Um, though which which direction we're supposed to go <laughs> off the end of that, I guess we'll have to wait and find out. But I did I did really like it. So <laughs> and I again, just, just more like, I'm I'm, I'm I'm coming straight out here in public and saying, for some reason, watching him take off that watch was one of the <laughs> highlights of the show. And I am ashamed of myself and I don't know why. I have questions about myself. <laughs> like, <laughs> You've got to think about that for yourself after. Give, I really give it have. till next like, week and really think about. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to pull a Bruce and start doing some journaling on this one. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this podcast is. It's your it's your journaling to fi- to figure out these feelings. I mean, I we were talking about this earlier. I was expecting to feel be, because I have a long history with the show Supernatural, which Misha Collins was on for many years. I very much enjoyed his character on that show. Um, I, my fear going into Gotham Knights was that I wouldn't be able to see him as another character, that I would still be very stuck in thinking of him as Castiel. And would I be able to see that difference? Because at first glance, Harvey is very much like him and is sort of like a quote unquote good guy. I have to say, especially in this episode, none of that residual affection was there. And I think it's down to his performance because I did not at any time feel a sense of comfort when Harvey was on screen, like when Harvey was talking to Turner, there was a little part of my brain that was just like, run, like run Turner, like don't trust him, like don't go to him. Yeah. And 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 there was just this strange sense of unease that you just get from Harvey throughout the episode, even when he's ostensibly like doing a good thing, like doing the right thing, like it yeah, feels wrong. You feel like even when he's doing the right thing, he's not doing it for the right reasons. Yes, yes. And- or even that he's kind of like lucking into things, like even like him punching out the mutant guy that could only happen because of what turner and the gang was doing behind the scenes like he wouldn't have been able to get that close that they would have detonated the bomb like it was just all very it just felt icky to me and i i really do appreciate misha's acting because i genuinely do not feel even a little bit of like oh like castiel like protector like nothing like i feel nothing Like when he was um, talking to Turner and Turner brought up the owls, mm-hmm. his reaction just felt just slightly off in this fantastic way. Like there's like a little kind of like sigh and almost like a fractional yeah. nod that he gives as if mm-hmm. like in the back of his mind, he's like, well, all right, this is coming up now. Like he, he knew. Yep. yep. Like, like knew I knew this to. was coming. Um, and it's it's just very interesting. Like his his reaction was, Nothing big enough that it was going to tip Turner off at that point. 
But as to be fair, he could have been much more obvious and well, Turner wouldn't have known. <laughs> he could have he could have taken the watch off and there would have been like a huge owl on the watch and Turner would have been like, oh, that's so interesting that you also have an owl on your watch. You must really like owls. <laughs> Uh, we we love turner we do the boy does have a lot to learn though <laughs> he does he's he's a great character to like make fun of but he yeah. he genuinely has a lot going for him as a character as well and i oh. think that that's also when we're looking at harvey and and his comfort level with these different characters i think part of the reason why he was so thrown by duella is not just that she's joker's daughter it's not just that she's a good suspect for this murder it's that she has that ability to just cut to the chase and see you for who you are and she got a few barbs in even just in that interrogation and so i do wonder if she had been with turner in that moment like (laughs) how far she would have gone into harvey i mean i think she could really get him pretty good if if they probably i I think turner is seeing the harvey that he always assumed harvey was Mm -hmm. he's seeing his father's friend he's seeing Mm -hmm. you know this upstanding politician whereas duella is probably seeing him more realistically for who he is because she doesn't have that prejudgment she doesn't have the oh this was a family friend she doesn't have any of that to look through so she is just looking and seeing what's in front of her and you know turner's turner's kind of maybe got some slightly rose-tinted glasses going on with harvey well he just he just needs someone to have been who they said that they were yeah like like right like all the adults in his life at this point have basically abandoned him whether through death or through just not even being who he thought that they were like Mm -hmm. for harvey to turn out to be not a good figure not someone he can trust or turn to like that's pretty that would be pretty devastating for him so he's just holding on to any little shreds of hope that he has yeah and i mean i'm sure that he feels betrayed in some way by the fact that harvey did have to arrest him but he also can rationalize that because he can say well Uh, harvey had his hands tied he didn't have any other option he's the da and all these kinds he he can make excuses for harvey on all and he even says to harvey he even says to him i don't expect you to help me like like i couldn't turn to you like you're not in the position that you could help me you know so he he recognizes that that there's like this weird dynamic at play but yeah it was it was still feels that harvey is trustworthy despite him maybe having shown him already otherwise and in fact straight up telling him in that scene like maybe you shouldn't (laughs) like maybe you shouldn't trust me it was almost a warning like it was it was almost like a um don't trust me because i don't want to have to double cross you like i don't want to i feel like there's a reluctance to hurt turner Mm -hmm. um from harvey i don't feel like he would hesitate if he had to no no, but no. There is it would be an I feel there. bad about this, but I'm still going to do it. <laughs> like yeah. there, there would be no stopping of it. Everybody yeah. is a pawn in Harvey's game. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that's what I'm feeling from him at the moment. So we get that great conversation between the mayor and Harvey. Um, <laughs> that was a slime ball versus slightly more noble slime ball in that moment. <laughs> yes, it's so political. <laughs> yes. Like, none of it is about, like, saving these people or doing whatever. It's, like, what's going to play well? Like, what's yeah. going to what's gonna make sense to the people of Gotham? I happen to think that the mayor was extremely wrong on almost all counts because, like, it, it, yes. releasing this guy back into the streets, even if the bomb didn't go off, it would simply not play well in Gotham. It's like, oh, cool, so you chose, like, these 100 very rich, very important people versus getting yes. this criminal off the street, which Carrie calls out later directly. However, you know, Harvey also is a little bit, like, 
why do we have to stop this? Because I just know, okay? Because <laughs> I just have this feeling that something's going to go wrong. Yes. And I mean, he does, like Javi does, tell the truth there 100%. He, yeah. he does approach him and say, look, you can't negotiate with terrorists. Like you're showing them that yeah. you're weak. Like he's making good, truthful points. He is. Um, but the mayor doesn't want to see them simply because all he sees is the Javi that is his political opponent, even if he's not being quite upfront about it just yet. Like he knows clearly, um, it seems likely that he's being funded by by different people. <laughs> yes. But but he clearly knows. <laughs> and I I loved I loved that little scene between the two of them because I was just watching them and I was like, well, at that point I was like, one of you's gonna die, and I know it's not gonna be Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> not not in this episode that isn't happening so i was just watching yep. it and i was like yeah the mayor kind of deserves whatever's coming to him at this point. yeah the the mayor has made does. one poor decision too many well he got too yes. arrogant we saw yeah. in that last episode that he was like yeah okay like whatever like i'll keep paying off that debt like he assumes that he'll be around to do that and i think it's interesting that cressida was kind of like hmm yeah you were making and a lot of assumptions did not see her at all in this episode no um a which bit is absent yeah interesting wonder what she's up to mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah what scheming she's doing in the background so they release uh vernon into the sewer system <laughs> like a rat i noticed um yes <laughs> instead of just turning him out onto the streets they literally released him into the sewer like the by his kids. request <laughs> by <Yes>. his request <laughs> where he feels most at home in the sewer mm-hmm. system um and so harvey obviously takes things but on his own shoulders at that point the mayor is not <laughs> doing anything useful um so we, we get the harvey tackle and uh, <laughs> which was quite impressive it was a it was a fun action sequence to watch that that touch yes. straining um so. <laughs> i found it so interesting because it's like yes he was he was doing the right thing he you know saved the day big hero whatever but like also, he had to know how that would play. Like, it would play amazing for, like, yeah. voters and for launching his campaign. Like, this event could not have been staged better for him in terms of launching his campaign, which is another yes. point potentially in favor of maybe some owl involvement in this event happening in the first place. Because yeah. what better way to control the narrative of your new candidate, this person that you're pushing forward, if yeah. he is indeed working with the owls? We yeah, don't know. We don't know. But... We don't know at this point, but very much getting the impression and are intended to get the impression. I think that, you know, strings are being pulled left, right, and center here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that probably, you know, even people who think they're making decisions for themselves are not. Yep. <laughs> so very interested to see how that plays out. I personally love that kind of narrative in any kind of show where you have, you know, the shadowy organization pulling strings yep. and it turns out at the end that it was their plan all along. I'm a sucker for that. I love it. So, <laughs> yep. So we're getting back to the bomb. Stephanie jumps in, makes the decision while this fight is going on upstairs that she is going to snip the wire, which had been her plan in contrast mm. to Harper's plan. And Harper is pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Not pleased. <laughs> yep. So like we said earlier you could argue back and forth over like who was right and who was wrong there or Mm -hmm. if either of them were at all um i I think we've probably already said much of what there is to be said yeah i do appreciate that they had that moment essentially be a lucky guess 
I think mm-hmm. that that was kind of a good thing to because these are kids like we've said it time and yeah. time and again but like these are not professional bomb diffusers like the fact that their first thought was like we'll just call the bomb squad like they're not these are not people who are professionals so I appreciated that like as much as they had this argument based on facts that ultimately it was just an instinctive choice that could have gone wrong that yeah. won the day you know so so it's not that the argument doesn't hinge on who's actually right because there wasn't really a clear right answer it was more Mm -hmm. about their perspectives and how they were coming at it yeah and i think there was like a very kind of subtle reminder here that harper and indeed any of these people at this point they don't consider themselves heroes no they're not considering themselves the good guys that they in most cases very much consider themselves to be the bad guys because um harper is very very clear throughout this like she could put together a bomb she could use these chemicals she could make it that's actually a very different thing from knowing how to defuse one that someone else made yep um yep exactly and she's trying her best but clearly that, that's she's never had to do that before she, she's not in mm-hmm. the habit of trying to save people from other people's bombs <laughs> like and stephanie knows how to make a nice like volcano for science class and a little like chemical reaction but she's she's not usually out diffusing bombs on her no. on her typical days you know say like you know pour some baking soda in it i'm sure it'll be fine <laughs> 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 yes so i know we did talk through that scene a decent amount but it was it was a good moment to show the personality for both of them and i really enjoyed the shot that they had of stephanie's face as harper left i thought it was a really good performance yes. by anna in that moment to just kind of show this like complete devastation versus versus her being arrogant or kind of like brushing harper off or like choosing not to examine that she yeah. really let those words land like she let yeah, it hit all her. of these people are learning things about themselves from each other like every mm-hmm. single one of them and i i really like that all right shiny stuff next scene is <laughs> duella's would... favorite part of the episode was the yeah I, I would first of all like to comment but <laughs> not only do so the bomb is missing from the crime scene okay mm-hmm. now we know that it wasn't <laughs> that the kids that took that bomb but all all everyone else knows is that it's missing from the crime scene yeah they have all of the shiny things turner posed as a member of the mutant gang earlier and managed to somehow not get hat hair while he was doing it <laughs> so all i'm saying is if someone breaks into that belfry they have done a very good job of framing themselves yes they really did <laughs> I also like that when they don't find the bomb, when GCPD is like, oh, we just don't even see a bomb here. They must have totally just been bluffing the whole time. And Harvey's just kind of like, all right. <laughs> okay. Sure. Like, I accept that. <laughs> it's like, okay, you don't maybe think that it's a little suspicious that Turner showed up to tell you all this stuff. And then all of a sudden the bomb's missing. And also like, all the stuff is hmm. missing. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. But yeah, there was a lot of shiny stuff. A lot of shiny which- stuff. I like the fact that we didn't, like, we had a, another little snippet of Dweller's intelligence there because she wasn't just being like, oh, shiny, I can take it down the street to the pawn shop and get, you know, some cash for this. Like, She's she was, <laughs> yeah, she was examining the diamonds. She was, you know, she had like her little magnifying thing, like, she was trying to grade them. Like, she has knowledge of this, this yeah. world, um, which we, we got a nice little reminder of that before <laughs> we got the reminder that actually there are big alley bad guys out there. <laughs> And that they've infiltrated the highest ranks of Gotham. That was very, it was a good reveal. And then also it's it's so great for us as an audience because it sets up that tension of like anybody could be 
an owl. It could be someone that we know from the party. It could be someone we haven't met yet who is at the party. Um, I thought that was really well done to show that it wasn't just a one-off person who had mm-hmm. that engraving done, like, as, like, a vanity thing for themselves. Like, this is clearly something that all of these people have so that they can recognize each other. Yes. I really like that. I, I love the, the symbolism of the watches in general. I think it's a very cool way for us to be kind of tracking it because it's it's such a say like a snobby upper class thing to have that mm-hmm. very expensive fancy watch and all the rest of it and and then the subtle symbolism of the owl being being hidden underneath um on it i i really love the symbolism of, of the watches and how we i hope that we're keeping that going throughout the season and yes. we're gonna see because i'm gonna be suspicious of everybody i see wearing a watch <laughs> like instantly no one can like, wear a flags. watch anymore red yep. flag you want to tell time no <laughs> <laughs> not you and then we're gonna move on to these emotional scenes which generally like some of this stuff like had me tearing up at this point yeah <laughs> like these actors killed it initially we have it was carrie and turner first Mm -hmm. we had them talking and they have this whole conversation about bruce not wanting turner to follow in his footsteps and and carrie you know feeling like that was what she had to uphold and that's why she doesn't want Turner to do it but then we find out that actually when she first approached bratman he didn't want her to either yeah and she just kept asking just wouldn't take no for an answer kind of inadvertently giving turner instructions that he just needs to be tenacious (laughs) and keep trying (laughs) yeah yeah just be annoying enough and you'll eventually get to where you need to be which is great life advice in general (laughs) yes and and we learn in that scene about you know that carrie's dad passed away when she was very young she didn't have any of that that any of what turner has with Mm -hmm. with bruce um which I feel like because of his anger and his grief, he has been undervaluing that for the last couple of episodes. Like he's had kind of tunnel vision about all the things that Bruce didn't tell him and didn't give him. And he lost sight about all the things that Bruce decided were more important to give him. Um, So I I think there was a, a moment in this where maybe he kind of started to have more awareness of that again. He was like, okay, like that was a choice that my dad made was to give me this kind of life instead yes. and and that was that was love for me that made him do that and i i can't devalue that choice <laughs> i do so think was, it's interesting, interesting though that bruce kind of when you when you look at these two kids bruce kind of failed them in different ways like mm-hmm. neither of them like because even though yes he was doing this out of love and out of protection and wanting to give turner a great life he also withheld the one thing that turner wanted which was his yes. affection and his presence um, and then with Carrie, you know, he's giving her all these tools and he's teaching her how to fight and everything. But again, he's withholding that familial connection because we mm-hmm. don't actually know all that much. Like like Carrie's life outside of being Robin is a bit of a mystery right now. Yes. Um, she got and so, secrets. So. She got secrets. So you just wonder, like, I, I feel for Bruce, I do. I don't think it's easy to balance being Batman and a father and all these other things. But I think that he kind of lost sight at a certain point of what Turner would have really wanted from him yes. versus, you know, training somebody to be Batman. Like, I don't think for Turner, it's not about my dad didn't want me to be Batman. It's my dad didn't want to spend the resources training me. My dad didn't want to let yeah, me. He's seeing all the negatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's seeing all the negatives. But I think also there's this underlying question with Bruce that I'm hoping at some point we either they might leave it up to us to to decide how Bruce felt about that or we, we might get more clear answers on it. I don't know. So there is this question with Bruce of out of all of the orphans that he comes across, 
out of all of the kids that he could save, why Turner? Like, why did he pick Turner? Why at that point? Mm-hmm. And then why did he begin to train him? And there becomes, if you know, if if you look at it right or you wonder about it, there becomes this slightly chilling interpretation where Turner was more of a tool. Like, what was it he was yep. trying to achieve with Turner? Um, he clearly, I, I don't think there's any question that he had like a very like fatherly love for Turner. Like he clearly did mm-hmm. all these these things with him, like that you do with your kid. I don't think that's in question at all. Yeah. But the question of why did he decide to adopt Turner and why specifically Turner out of all of these kids? Like we know, for example, that um Robin's dad is dead. Why didn't he bring mm-hmm. her more into his life? Why didn't he find one of the other many, many, many children that are out there? <laughs> so the, there are questions. There are a lot of questions yes. here. Um, some kind of more chilling and concerning than others. Um, I just, I don't know. I'd love to have answers on that. But they've managed to make it so far that there's no question of like yeah. the, the kind of like fatherly love there. Like that mm-hmm. clearly was there. But I do think there may have also been other motives. So. Oh yeah, um, this wasn't going to be a clean thing. I, I personally think that, you know, he walked into an orphan orphanage one day and just saw this little kid with this crazy head of hair, just impeccably done. <laughs> and he was like, I got to know. I got to take this kid home. I don't know who this kid is. I need to know his secrets. Clearly, I need to know his secrets. Well, that's why his hair is so big. It's because it's full of secrets. It's full of secrets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I'm, I totally agree. I definitely want to know how exactly Turner came to be with Bruce Wayne because I think that a lot of our mystery is going to be solved once we know that information. Yes. And and I think it's very likely that Turner is I wouldn't say deliberately withholding information that he that he's keeping secrets from himself, but there's clearly a lot of things that he hasn't realized and he is yeah. slowly slowly picking up the pieces or being like hand-fed the pieces in some cases. But like there there's so much there's so much going on with these characters. So yes, I do think that maybe at some point Bruce Wayne walked into an orphanage and was like, yes, that one, the one with the Jimmy Neutron hair, I'll take him. Um, I guess I and... want Jimmy Neutron. <laughs> I want to take him home. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping that we we get more of that. I'm assuming that we will because so much of this mm-hmm. is delving back into that childhood and that relationship that they had. But I'm very pleased with it so far. It's, it's keeping my interest most definitely. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we, we move on to the next scene and we get, or at least the, the remainder of this scene where, um, Turner is then reassuring Carrie that, you know, the, the leader of the mutants, you know, isn't going to be an issue for long because she's actually good at this and she's actually, you know, a, a danger to these criminals. Like she really is being Bruce's backup. She's, she's mm-hmm. doing what he would have wanted and or what she's assuming he would have wanted yeah. um and, and being his backup and it's a lovely moment i think that turner chooses to reassure her about that when up until this point he's clearly been very jealous of that and, and yes. jealous of her and then he decides or realizes that he can actually put her feelings ahead of that jealousy so that was it was a very interesting moment between the two of them there was some there were some sparks there for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting that we're seeing sparks in different places. I appreciate yeah. that. I like that. I'll, I could definitely see their relationship going there. Right now, it almost feels like a protective thing between the two of them. Like, she's yes. trying to protect mm-hmm. him. He's trying to protect her. Everybody's trying to protect each other. It's it's almost um, a slightly healthier version of what Cullen and Harper have going on. <laughs> where it's yeah. this thing of, like, I know you're capable 
I know you have talents. However, <laughs> I feel that it's my mission to protect you. And you can kind of feel that from both Turner and Carrie in that moment. Yes, I, I completely agree with every one of that. <laughs> so, and um, speaking of our twins, they also yeah. have a nice, lovely, emotional conversation together, um, which I absolutely loved. I, I thought that both Fallon and Tyler did such a good job in that moment of of being so emotionally raw and honest. And I appreciated that they didn't draw out that tension, that they actually had them talk about it. Like, I don't think this is the last time that Harper is going either. to have this problem. Yeah, there's part of me that's concerned that we kind of got that because they're going to turn it on its head soon. Um, <laughs> we got like, a oh, nice moment and then... <laughs> yeah. Like, is something going to, now that they're, like, we had that lovely, like, sibling hug and, and the moments and the, the reassurance that, like, no, like, she she doesn't think that, that Cullen is useless. She thinks he's brave, like, all these other kinds of things. And are, are they now going to tear them apart in a future episode? Is something going to happen to one of them? Or is something going to get between them? I'm, there's a lot of options there, and I'm genuinely kind of excited about all of them. <laughs> I'm excited, but I, I do like when they're supportive of each other and, and when they are yeah. kind of on the same team, because you get the sense that they are an unstoppable team when they're together and when when they're on the same page. I did like that she acknowledged that even when they were back with their dad and they were experiencing like the level of abuse that they were talking about before, that at no point did she just see Colin as like a passive victim of that, that like she always kind of saw him as standing up for them and standing up for himself. Which I appreciate that she acknowledged that for him because I think Cullen really needed to hear that. Like, you could just mm-hmm. see the way that her words were landing with him that, like, yes, it's good that, like, Duella believes in me. Yes, it's good that, like, people are saying that I can handle this. Yes, I think that I can handle this. But to hear it from this person who means more to him than anyone else, that she also saw that within him. Like, I think it just really meant a lot. And it was really sweet. Yeah. Like, I genuinely, <laughs> I I had a lot of emotions <laughs> during, during that scene. I was like, and... Tyler absolutely acted his ass off during that scene yeah. because the the moment where he's talking about his pain in the ass sister and the expression on his face mm-hmm. and the look in his eyes, I was just like, okay, you're hurting me, but in a good way. Because <laughs> like, well, like anyone who has a sibling recognizes that dynamic, right? There's like yeah. always these ups and downs and the push and pull of that protectiveness and like wanting to be there, but wanting to let somebody spread their wings and fly. And so like, I think there was a lot that you could self-identify with in that dynamic, watching them in that moment. It was just very well written and very well performed, which I, I appreciated that. Yes. Excellent sibling vibes. We appreciate. Yes. So. <laughs> and we do get one more little Cullen moment, which is when he is returning the card to Duella. So mm-hmm. earlier on when he was off to the police station, she asked him, you know, she, she she stuck up for him, said that he was a badass. Obviously, she had a slight ulterior <laughs> motive there. Though she came across as very genuine with it as well, which yeah. is, is interesting. Like, I, I think there were multiple things going on there. Mm-hmm. But she she we didn't see up until this point what it was that she asked him to do for her mm-hmm. until he appears with this Joker card from the evidence locker at the GCPD, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very brief scene, but very powerful and very telling of how much space the joker is taking up in her life oh yes oh yes and we chatted about it before but i i think Mm -hmm. i think daddy is going to come back either metaphorically or physically (laughs) in the remainder of the season (laughs) yes very important so then we get this this i think this is my favorite scene of the entire episode actually this very powerful ending scene where Mm -hmm. we have harvey 
um almost as almost as a voiceover during the first part where we yep. see the mayor coming out of a building he is is walking through the steps and there's a, there's a part of the steps that is kind of stained dark and as we get harvey talking about um the dark shadow over gotham you get the mayor walking through this black section mm-hmm. of stead like it was just oh just it was beautiful. so good so good um and uh harvey in a very chilling but charismatic way announcing his intent to run for mayor yeah like we're seeing possible what what politician Nisha Collins could have looked like for us <laughs> hopefully with well, slightly better motives we have to say capitalizing yeah. immediately on that viral moment of heroism that he has capitalized that that he did not truly earn like yes mm-hmm. he did punch the guy but this was not his everything that happened happened because of Turner and his friends like everything was set up by them like and the way that he talks like you said it's very chilling it's like what you would expect a politician to say it's not a very from the heart speech it's it's we've heard this many a time before in real life politics right yes. so to hear them put that voice over with that music and kind of make it this like epic like it just feels wrong like everything with Harvey just feels a little bit yes. off kilter and that speech is a great example of it yes and i think uh, Misha Collins has a very distinct uh skill as an actor where he can make his words and his mouth and his expression do one thing while his eyes are doing a completely different thing mm-hmm. um and he use, seems to be using that a lot with harvey dent like he can do the the smiles and, and everything else oh, that yeah. come across and then like the rest of his expression is just chillingly off <laughs> like i just yeah and that and really it's really a, came and it's an here. open question if he knows what's going on with his uh predecessor at the same time that yeah. he's giving that speech because uh don't piss off the owls they'll come back and poison you in your car <laughs> yes um because we get to see the appearance of another owl coin i don't have a count yet but like they seem to be increasing <laughs> each episode which is awesome um and then we get this chilling moment of the divider of the car that the mayor gets into going down and we see the magical missing bomb that everybody just seemed to assume <laughs> either didn't exist or <laughs> uh, no in the car with the mayor which i i loved that that was a mm-hmm. great uh touch for me like uh, uh, something that amused me a little bit is that <laughs> hamilton hill in I believe it was the Harley Quinn show, um, is actually poisoned by Two-Face. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, poison gas by Two-Face in one. And then, does Harvey have a connection to the owls? I don't know, but he meets a similarly poisony, grizzly end. <laughs> so, yeah. R.I.P. Mayor Hill. Possibly one of the worst mayors ever. <laughs> yeah. um, Not aware of anything good fun. that he did. Um, yeah. <laughs> also, huge shout out to Harvey's tie in mm-hmm. that scene because since Harvey landed that punch at the party and smacked <laughs> smacked the the mutants, um, it seemed like something something has slipped a little bit further with him at that point. Mm-hmm. He's that little bit more chilling. It's that little bit more overt. And then we get this scene of him delivering this speech wearing this tie that is split into. Um, it has a line straight down the middle, and it's it's one of the like most visually impressive like duality 
things that I've seen so far. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. Also, exquisite tie knot. If, if you're not following like the, the, the ties on Twitter, please please do. <laughs> but. It is pretty amazing. Um, and it, it does, looking at this show the way that we have, kind of examining all these little Easter eggs, it does make me look at even other shows differently in terms of like all of this stuff always has an intention to it. And I think that there's a desire amongst fandoms in general to sort of diminish that or dismiss like costume choices, lighting choices, like all of these things that aren't like written in the script. Mm-hmm. And this particular episode really shows the importance of paying attention to those little things and paying attention to those clues because somebody has been very careful about laying it out for you via costume choices, via lighting choices, all of these things that aren't necessarily something you would find if you read the script like a book. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said there in terms of what is like actual text and Mm -hmm. what is considered subtext but however intentional subtext by the crew is effectively text (laughs) in in a lot of ways um but then there's also the 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 way that fandoms themselves and fans are going to have an interpretation and Mm -hmm. they're entitled to that interpretation at the end of the day everything we're saying here is interpretation it's oh yeah this is not textual in any way (laughs) no (laughs) my my ships that i love are mine (laughs) exactly But they give us, by by giving us all that text and all that subtext that is still there in canon, they give us so much to play with. And I'm yeah. so grateful for that. <laughs> like, they mm-hmm. really do. Like, I'm somebody who, like, I, I can talk about shows until, you know, the cows come home. I'm not ever mm-hmm. going to complain if I'm wrong. I'm just yeah. going to be like, wow, they, they, you know, put this thing in and I took it this way. But actually, they meant it this way. And that's really interesting. And I can see where they're going with that now. And it's, kind yeah. of stuff. And it's very interesting to me that you can take so many little details and tell so much deeper of a story like there are plenty of people who casually sit down and watch tv shows and they watch the surface level plot and they're perfectly happy um and the show works on that level i think it's Mm -hmm. a great you know show with like some super villain stuff going on and this bunch of ragtag kids who are you know fighting (laughs) against it and that's great but there's so much more story to it for the people who want to be invested in that story i think that's fantastic they're doing such a great job yeah, it's like a conversation between the creators and the audience in a way that's very productive. And that's not even just counting just being involved on Twitter or on Tumblr or wherever where the creators are being very vocal and being very generous and kind of sharing their intentions behind certain things or sharing these little behind the scenes tidbits. Like it's it's nice to see that they want us to know what they were thinking and yeah. that they're interested in hearing what we think too and how certain interpretations may have landed differently for us. Yeah. Because it's, I think it's probably interesting as a creator, like if you intended something a certain mm-hmm. way and you know that you intended it that way, you probably don't see where these other interpretations could could crop up until somebody says, oh, okay, well, I viewed that this way and I yeah. read this from it. And I mean, that's all, that's always going to happen. That's just how communication uh-huh. between humans yeah. happens. Yeah, but course. it's probably uh, probably pretty interesting like as a creator to see how many different interpretations can come out of one thing that you created. And yet secretly for yourself, be like, ha I know the right one. <laughs> <laughs> or even looking at like how an actor's performance is versus how you wrote it, you know, because yeah. you might see one thing in your head and then on the day of an actor makes a choice and you're like, oh, interesting. That's not what I wrote, but like it works, like it works in a different way than what I thought. Yeah. 
because I mean, actors can and do take and interpret certain things. Like um, I saw earlier today that uh, Tyler said that the speech that Cullen made in the previous episode that we commented on, where he talked about um, Cullen's chosen name and wanting to keep it, that was something that Tyler came up with. Mm -hmm. And I love that because at the end of the day, he's living that character. And he, yeah. he's in the moment, he's feeling how it feels, he, he's acting it out. And sometimes, you know, when when you're writing, something comes out a certain way. And when you see it playing out with somebody in front of you, it might come out slightly differently. And I'm sure there are times when the writers say, hey, no, that isn't going to work because X, Y, Z is going to happen down the line or yep. because I need this interpretation in, in this specific scene. Um, mm-hmm. But I love how it's more of a, a back and forth relationship a lot of the time. So the character that we get at the end might not be the exact same one that they began with with the first draft in the writer's room. Definitely. And I love that. We're definitely sure. going on tangents here, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good tangent, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, kind of kind of wrapping things up here. Um, I know next week's episode is gonna be a big one. We have mm-hmm. <laughs> we have Duella potentially going undercover, which I think is is gonna be a new experience for her. <laughs> that outfit is fantastic, and I cannot wait <laughs> to see that. Yes. And like we've said before, you can find all of our um, coverage of Gotham Knights on NerdsAndBeyond.com, including our synopsises and our photos as well. Let me see if I can actually pull up the synopsis for episode four and see if I have any interesting tidbits to share. Well, the title is great. The title is Of Butchers and Betrayals, which is just such an interesting Yes. Interesting title. Wondering um, how those betrayals are going to come into this. Hmm. Mm-hmm um oh yeah so this is gonna oh this is actually i'm so excited for this particular episode because we have a really like great a guest star coming in we have veronica cartwright who is an absolute sci-fi legend um coming onto the show to guest star yes. which is just woohoo like a very very cool very cool there have been a lot of great guest stars so far and still a couple get good guest stars to come but she's definitely a big She's a big nerd out yeah. moment for me. I've always been kind of a fan of her for many years um, since I was a kid. So that'll be very fun to see her in the Exciting. episode. Yep. Yes. Um, oh, and we get some interesting um, information here because we're going to have Stephanie opening up to Cullen about her home life, um, which is interesting knowing that her parents are about to show up in, in just a few episodes. Yes. And so, you know, knowing <laughs> knowing the background that we do about the potential for those characters i think that's very interesting mm-hmm. it is very interesting we also get a, a turner harper pairing which is interesting we haven't really had those two kind of go off alone together very often um <laughs> they're going to be investigating a connection between bruce wayne's death and the mysterious death of a lawyer and then meanwhile carrie and duella in their chaos duo combination are I going to them <laughs> together like just that the idea of them together is just perfect to me yes love them because one of them is chaos incarnate and one of them is like trying so desperately to like do the right thing and like be very by the book and like yes. do everything the way Bruce would have done it. And uh, I just, I feel like they're good for each other on that yes. front. Like Carrie's probably holding, holding Duella back a little bit and Duella's probably just like, you know, come on out, come on out of the, the shell a little bit. Like yep. we, we need to, you can be a little she bit She needs to loosen okay. up. <laughs> yes. They're good She's for got too other. many AP classes, not enough fun teenage parties. <laughs> give give me a, a Duella and a Carrie ship. I'm down for it. <laughs> Just add Done. it to the endless list. Done. You don't need to ask me twice. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that is it for this week's episode of Your Bad is Dead. Be sure to tune in next week for all the twists and turns on Gotham Nights. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Your Bad is Dead, and our show is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to head to Nerds and Beyond for all your nerdy news and a variety of fandoms, including Gotham Nights. This show is produced by Mal Windsor and Jules Thompson for Nerds and Beyond, and our theme music is by Kennedy Lynch.